1: What do you like to listen to? Um, (laughs) chart music. Chart music.
2: Praise youngsters and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that plunges its fist right up the cow's arse that is a random episode of Top of the Pops on Pit Deep. I'm your host, I'll need them, but hey, enough about me. Let me introduce you to the quack quack to my oops. Those people are Cerebi.
3: Here I am.
2: And my good friend, David Stubbs. Hello, me dears. How are we?
4: How do you do? Well, lovely, thanks. That's a great, that's a wonderfully topical contemporary reference there, the um, arm deep up the cow's ass because um, it was very much the era 76 of James Herriot, <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, it was, in yes. The, oh. in the so that's, yes, that that's a very redolent image, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah. The first time you got to see a bit of fisting on uh, national television.
4: Absolutely. Ah. Well, you
2: got enough of that
3: at home. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so anything popping in interesting happening in your lives, my dear? Uh,
3: I just got back from Margate, where I was seeing Orbital at, uh, at Dreamland, so... um Lovely. Techno heroes in a, you know, in a beautiful kind of vintage fairground setting.
2: Oh, forget your Costa Brava, eh?
3: Absolutely bang up, mate.
4: Yeah, lovely. David, your book. That's right, yeah. It's out, isn't it? Described this morning by the Sunday Times as wise and humane. Oh. Well, it's called um, Mars by 1980... And then subtitled The Story of Electronic Music which perhaps is a little bit presumptuous because it's more of a sort of kind of subjective and personal account. I mean you can't getting every aspect of the story of electronic yeah. music into a book that even a book that's about 100 and, a bit of a fat bastard at 135,000 words you Jesus. know so there's lots left out um uh,
2: orchestral manoeuvres in the dark obviously but yeah
4: it's really sort of taking in the sort of the full sweep of electronic music going right back to the days of people like the you know the futurists and the art of noises manifesto and kind of examining you know Various things like the kind of utopianism of early electronic music, the subsequent resistance to it, you know, why it didn't take off more at certain points, like in the late 60s, for example. Um, And, um, yeah, and then coming right up to the present day, you know, when you've got this kind, when you've got the almost like ironic dominance and ubiquity of electronic music, you know, with things like electronic dance music. Um, And, you know, in a sense, there's a sort of element of lament the 20th century and the sort of the great sort of hopes and expectations that people had generally um and you know this idea that we're kind of in the 21st century we're sort of living in a post space age really and um um you know just wondering if there's any way that that kind of sort of early pioneering spirit could be recaptured in any way perhaps
2: yeah i've actually got a copy of that book right here right in front of me david thank you very much
4: Nice it's one. It's a chunky nice fucker, isn't it? It is. It is a chunky fucker indeed.
2: And it's got some lovely pictures, yep. everyone.
4: Oh yeah, there are yeah, actually there's some very pictures. And I think they did a lovely job on the cover. I have to, you know, commend them for yes. that, definitely. Yeah, it's very really? nice.
2: And the reason I've got this uh this, this, this copy is because I am going to give it away to one of our lovely Ooh. Patreon members uh in oh, in due time. <laughs> um Let's say middle of August. Yep. If you were, if you, if you're a Patreon member by then, I'll do a random draw, and some lucky pop crazy youngster is going to get a copy of this book. And I promise I won't leaf through it, and you know, <laughs> put, you know, bend any corners or anything yeah. like that. Or read it while I'm having my tea and get bean stains on it and everything. (laughs) So, David, by the time this episode comes out, the book will be in the shops, in all uh, good booksellers, as I say. Yeah,
4: that's right. And some of the crap ones too, no doubt. definitely, yeah. And, and I uh, do believe you're, uh, you're you're going on a tour, aren't you? A little, yeah, a bit of a mini tour, but sort of looking at various places, including Bristol, your own Nottingham, of course. So you know, perhaps we can we'll be looking. Oh, you know, and... I might pop along there and see you, David if I'm yeah, not doing out that. That Nice one, nice one. Yeah, yeah, be, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? I'll be going up to Sheffield as well, for the um, SynthFest, and doing something there. <laughs> do
2: you have any dates, David? Is there anything hard and concrete? Uh, actually,
4: n- no, off? no, not at this, not absolutely no. I think October sixth is the SynthFest, um, but as for the, um, there'll be some time in August. Will the um, um, Nottingham and Bristol dates. They're not absolutely confirmed yet.
2: Right. Well, as soon as you know something, we'll we'll, we'll let the pop-crazy youngsters know. Your chance to meet someone from Chart Music, everyone. Absolutely. I might put together a special
4: prize for the first person who comes up to you at one of these and shouts... Bummer dog, dog absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, bummer dog. I think this is what's going to happen with this show. It's going to be a bit like the Tracy Ullman show was in the eighties, and you know, and then and uh, what's actually going to emerge and become the kind of you know the true thing is bummer dog, and we'll be like the yeah, of the Tracy Ullman it, element, it? yeah. And bummer dog all will the be the kind of all the fucking our
2: work that we put absolutely, into this, it'll and all... it'll just be about a, a sex dog from yeah. forty
4: years and... ago. Bummer Dog will be like the, emerging, like the Simpsons, yeah, leaving us behind.
3: Yeah, just uh, yeah. FYI, everyone. Uh, if anyone comes up to me in public and uh, yells Bummer Dog" at me, I shall call the police. <laughs> 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 Actually, no, I won't. I'll probably just laugh awkwardly and go, "Oh, you listen to the thing. Oh, that's nice. Uh, would you wear that on a? Um, would you wear it on a t-shirt?" Mm.
2: So before we go any further, it's time once more to drop a little mention to the latest batch of people who have took chart music to their breasts since we last spoke. Those people are Tim Thornton, Miles Jackson, Michael Pryor, Donald Sutar, Paul Whitelaw, David Benton, David Morgan, Joe DeMont, John Furlong, Robin, Liam Kearns, Robert Fish, and Rupert Gilbert. Oh, we are the rain, you are the sun, and now we've made a rainbow. Aren't they mints and they skill, just everyone? Absolute oh, darlings. Just, just...
3: Tell you what, though, I must, I must remark, and you know, no value judgment here at all. Little bit of a sausage fest, isn't it, mm. our Patreon? I must say. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering where the. I, I think, I think uh, <laughs> the, um, the the next woman to uh, to to come on board should get. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come up with something to you know. I um, think
2: they should get a special message along the lines of float on by the floaters, by, by the male uh, population yeah, of Choms. Nice. Yeah, it? that would be nice. Yeah, that would be a pretty good We'll sort out something special for the ladies yeah, uh, and Sarah yeah, can yeah. decide it because All we'll right, get yeah, it wrong. That
3: sounds, that sounds fair.
2: Hmm. Maybe some bummer dog pants. How's about that?
3: A bummer dog. <laughs> a, b- a bummer dog. Oh, <laughs> bum, no, no. No,
2: a bummer dog thong, I was going to say. No, you've got me thinking oh, there. are no, dog. Just, be, a range of chart music sex dog. toys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh Christ. You you see you can take the boy out of porn no, no. can't you but you cannot take the no. porn out of the boy.
2: Oh, can you imagine a I don't know a, a, no, no that's no. not.
3: No, no, no. Although this this is the thing this on on the internet of old, there was I don't know um it was uh in some it was probably in like the beta newsletter or something and they were like have do you realize that there is an entire um small industry online of uh, people who make Sex who make dildos out of um, sort of um, animal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there like dol- you know, kind of dolphin ones and, yeah. and whatever else. And yeah, just the the mad alien shapes that they come in, and, and it's like, would you like one of these? Well, you've come to the right place.
2: I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking it's, it's of uh, um, some kind of uh, rubber vagina with Dave Lee Travers's face.
3: No, that's not. That's not fair.
2: Someone would go for that, Sarah. It's not
3: fair on vaginas, Alan. You know it.
2: No, no, I know.
3: Just put that thought from your head right now.
2: So let's let's move very quickly away from this subject and just remind you that we are a total independent podcast. We don't waste your time with adverts. We put loads of time into this and effort. And uh, you know, the the only the only thing we get from it apart from your love is the the money that is given to us out of the kindness of the hearts of the true Pop Crazy Youngsters. So, if you would like to join them, the address is www.patreon.com. Actually, fuck the address. Send us the fucking money. Now. (laughs) If you can spare it, obviously. (laughs) This episode, Pop Crazy Youngsters, takes us all the way back to January the 22nd, 1976, a year that has been on the minds of a lot of people at the moment due to the fucking hot weather. Um... Sarah um beneath your perfume and makeup you're just a baby in disguise uh, you were born after uh, th- this date so david um weather of
4: 1976 compared to the weather we've just had who wins oh 1976 to be honest um it was um it was pretty glorious, and it didn't come with a sort of ominous uh, foreboding of global warming and what have you, which uh, the present perhaps, perhaps does. No, yeah, just, just ladybirds. Yes, it, it was just... It Yeah, it was absolutely, you know, that age, it was prolonged, it was excellent. It was mainly, Elton Don and Kiki D were mainly number one, uh, so I do remember it for that. Also, we got to um, mm. um, look after my dad's boss, uh, Mr. Fred Dover. He had an enormous house in Staleybridge, and they went off on holiday for three weeks, and we house sat for them, and, Ooh. you know, we um, got to experience how the other half lived, you know, an enormous garden. With a swing in it, two Great Danes, colossal Great Danes, we had to look after. Um, they'd have Ooh. given Bummer Dog a run for his money, I can tell you. Um, and um, yeah, and just enormous gardens. Did you, and your brothers, race them <laughs> or ride on them or something? No, 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 we wouldn't. We wouldn't have dared, really. They, they were terrifying creatures. Um, but, um, but yeah, and you know, they're just all the trappings of luxury. For instance, they had a device in their fridge that you could pour orange squash out of directly from. Yeah, the no. feet, you know, and it was just like, you know, the, the people, you know, just the splendour in which some people live and we availed of it that's for three like, weeks. That's like space nineteen ninety nine shit, that is. Yeah, yeah. What will they think of next? Um so I yeah. do remember it kind of quite vividly for that, you know, and just living graciously for like three of those um very, very um three weeks of that very, very hot summer. Um mm. yeah, yeah, it was now frankly it, it it was it was a lot better really. Uh, Danny Baker tells a story um in his book about that summer and um just like they went out off, off to the pub and um you know an afternoon and they were just sort of like drinking nicely you know getting the lagers in copiously and the pub landlord um says look chaps um you look like um, you're spending enough money yeah, what, there's, a, there's a tap over there and a hose why don't you go and um Play around with it. And he did, he said one of the happiest afternoons oh. of his life, just sort of like turning on this cold tap and they're just hosing each other down in various different ways. And um, you know, talk about He made his own fun in them days, didn't we? He really did make her own fun.
2: Sarah, Hello. you obviously you weren't around, you you're approaching this pretty much cold, aren't you, this episode? So if I were to say to you the music of nineteen seventy six, what would you say back to me?
3: I would say easy listening, stodgy rock. Those are kind of the two mm. quite sort of um slightly drab and uh, mundane uh you know, the the rock and the soft place between <laughs> between yeah. you know, that sort of held up those are the two sort of pillars of, of, of this year, I would say. Um yeah. of course, you know, and uh, you know, Punk was, was obviously um, you know, about to about to blow a big hole in both of them. Um but mm. of course you know, the um looking this up, um the uh, the pistols signed to EMI in November, put out um, their first single Anarchy in the UK, um, November twenty sixth, and then yeah. the infamous uh, today uh, appearance um, was uh, December. So you know it wasn't right yeah, until December the end the- of this year, December the second. So
2: we're miles away from it from the standpoint of this episode, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Mm. What have you got in your collection that's from nineteen seventy six?
3: Um, oh, you know, song songs in the key of life I discovered came out in seventy six. So you know that would be—I don't know if that's the best album of the year, but it's—it's it's getting on for it, isn't it? So it's up there in it, yeah, yeah. So I'd have to say out of stuff that I, you know, li- still listen to and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a—it's not a fal- it's not exactly a fallow year, but you can, you know, looking back at it now, mm. you can see that it's—it's it's obviously kind of calm before the storm, time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, um, the the day after this episode went out, uh, Station to Station by David Bowie came out. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, but um, as for the charts, it is a bit, it's a bit stodgy, isn't it? Mm. There's a lot of waiting. We've we've gone way past glam. Nothing's replaced it. Sort of getting some dancey music in, but it's not officially disco time yet. Yeah, and yeah. punk is just from the standpoint of this episode, you can't see punk coming. No. No. You know, we, we we do still see 1976 as a time when lots of things were going off in the background, but on on the centre stage, it's a bit rubbish and pantomime eh? So as a barometer of what was going on in January of 1976, um, I have got something that would be lying about in a lot of people's houses uh, by this time. You know, it's still in January. Uh, the Music Star Annual 1976. So uh, just leafing through that, uh, the cover, uh, which of course tells you who the big players are. Uh, the main image is Noddy Holder, uh, dressed up as a flowery wizard. <laughs> uh, then the Bay City Rollers, David Essex, the Osmonds, the Rubets, and Kenneth.
4: That's really weird because all those people were. Isn't it? Yeah, because they were all well past their particular peak at that point. You know, it's really. Definitely, they are just yeah. sort of just well, def- Particularly the Osmonds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Osmonds. I yeah. mean, the
2: Bay City Rollers, they've just come off their biggest year ever, but uh, it's, it's go- they're going to go downhill pretty quickly, aren't
4: they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's that's strange. They're definitely kind of reaching for the tried uh, and over familiar there. Right
2: yeah. at the beginning on the inner cover has got a really grotesque photo of Noddy Holder. In full mutton chops, uh, like sticking his tongue out, he looks. Nah. It looks really fucking obscene. <laughs> He's got a feature called David in Deutschland with suitably Teutonic font. They get a few slide digs in at our at our German friends. David Essex says that he, he likes being in Germany because he never gets bothered by fans. And then it says, but just after our photo man took his shots, David was proved wrong. Around the corner, a mad crowd of German Essex fans appeared, <laughs> all giving war cries and bombing towards us at a tremendous rate. <laughs> Terrible, man. We just don't mention the war, Music Star. There's a little kind of like word search game called Guide Jimbo to the Goodies. Little Jimmy Osmond loves his grub, and at our last Music Star party, he found himself much too far away from it. So. Meeting lots of stars on the way, Jimbo forged his way to the food, starting out at the top right-hand corner and moving one square at a time. Can you work out who he met? And it's got this kind of like word searchy thing that you go to, and right at the end is a big pile of sandwiches and loads of bottles of pop and cakes and crisps and everything. Wow. Fat-shaming. Fat-shaming little Jimmy Osmond. Cool, yeah. Oh, and there's also, I want to show you a photo. Hang on a minute. Oh. There's a feature called Alvin Down Under. With uh, which features Alvin Stardust in Australia. I'm going to show, send you a picture now. Right. Say what you see. Oh.
3: Ah. <laughs>
2: Sarah, describe that <laughs> amazing okay. image, um, please.
3: Okay. We have um, Alvin Stardust posing heroically. In uh, I want to say, well, they're not cut off denims. They are actually just standard jeans rolled right the fuck up. So he's look at he's, the
2: thickness on those turn-offs, man. It's
3: like he's got you know, like I'll tell you what that looks like. It looks like you know, um, you know, the things they put on horse, like race horses' knees to yeah, keep, blinkers. No, 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 what knee blinkers? No, just like knee. Pad. They, they put like fleece. Oh, yeah. around yeah, it's like that. Um, and he's sort of he's t- he's caught in the in the in the move of, of sort of turning around to kind of go. Yeah. Hi, hi there. I didn't see you there. And the waves are crashing yeah. very dramatically behind him, and he's barefoot perched on a sort of uh, a slimy rock. And, uh, and pale as fuck, and, and just and pale as fuck. Well, you know, I've I, you know, um, we've we've got to represent for the fish bellies, you know. But yes. um, yeah, and the the hair is.
2: He looks like
4: Biffa Bacon's dad <laughs> on a <the> beach. <laughs> <he>? <laughs> Definitely bigger, yeah, yeah. Those turnips, uh, yeah. I mean you can tell those little flare. They're massive, aren't they? Around his
3: knees, he's got uh, he's a strong. Uh, he's got good legs. I've got to admit, he's um, slightly slightly dad bod towards the top, but yeah, good calves. Yeah, you. he? Is, isn't but it? that's fine. That's how people used to, you know. That's how people would look in the seventies, and nobody would uh, complain about it because not everybody was expected to be ripped to fuck like they are now. So yeah. I know actually it's going back again, isn't it? The whole I know the whole dad bod thing is nonsense, but it's kind of there's something there's a bit of a healthy correction happening there a bit. A bit more kind of yeah. body positivity. Anyway, um, this is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an arresting image um, of Alvin Stardust on, on a rock. Beauty
2: and the beach, yeah. Alvin calls this shot. He's not far wrong, though, is he? Here he stands above the rolling surf and wonders whether to dive in and impress the girls. When he was told it was a 550-foot drop, he decided not to bother. <laughs> and he said to him, Jump off that, you must be out of your tiny minds. Mm. I'm gonna send you another Alvin Pick now. I just want you to tell me straight away who he looks like. Who does that look like? <laughs>
3: um. Oh fuck. Uh, uh. Um. Fred West. Robbie fucking Williams. <laughs> Doesn't it? <he? laughs> Yeah. Shocking, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, now you say that. Yeah, it's. I don't know what that says about me that my immediate thought was Fred West, but uh, yeah. sorry, sorry, Alvin. <laughs> sorry, Robbie, as well, I guess. Here's Alvin facing a dangerous herd of stampeding bush babies. Mm. Notice the look of sheer panic on his face and the fist clenched, ready to fend off the ferocious bushy-tailed beasties. Yeah. I'm not. I've, I, what I'm distracted by here is the fact that they've put a space before the exclamation mark.
2: Oh. The
3: don't do that. I'm sorry. I'm subbing. I'm subbing you the '70s. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not, it's <clears throat> not right.
2: One more thing from this amazing annual, and let me tell you now, pulp crazy youngsters. If you do see Music Star annuals in the charity shops, buy the fuckers straight away. They are fucking amazing. There's a feature called What Is a Fan, and it's a selection of letters. Well, supposedly from people saying how mentalist they are about pop music. There's one here from Jocelyn in Birmingham that says, I'm a real fan, there's no doubt about it. When Top of the Pops comes on, I guard the telly like the crown jewels. I stand watching the rest of the family like a hawk, and if any of them dare tamper with the box, I pounce on them and beat their brains out with a rolled up pop mag, or try to. The only trouble is, I'm so busy making sure it stays on that I hardly ever see the programme myself. When I go to school the next day and everyone says, wasn't so-and-so great, all I can remember is that it was the one that was on when I got our Ronnie and a half Nelson under the table. <laughs> Good old Jocelyn. And Ronnie,
4: what a cunt no, you are h- wanting to put on fucking
2: Emmerdale. What Emmerdale? the fuck
4: was wrong That's with you? That's not ridiculous. Not, not, not even Amos really could compensate for Yeah. God, I just love the days when people, you know, the wrestling days of Britain, when people, everyone knew what a half Nelson was. Radio
2: One news. So, in the news this week, Concord makes its debut commercial flight from Heathrow to Bahrain, a Conservative MP complains in Parliament that immigrants are being taught how to swear in language courses in Oldham, <laughs> Iceland threatened to break off diplomatic communications with the UK over fishing rights after a British trawler collides with an Icelandic patrol boat. Juventus make an offer for Johan Cruyff. The judge in the obscenity trial for the book Inside Linda Lovelace responds to a description of oral sex by stating, Oh, this is all too technical for me. But the big news this week for me, is that a load of Chelsea scumbags put a brick through me non window after a Forest game, which just misses my head and lands on the board of the haunted house board game I was playing. The come, Sorry, okay. Chelsea, I still ate you. Every time you get knocked out of the Champions League, I laugh. Mm-hmm. That thing about the immigrants being taught how to swear—that's brilliant, yeah, isn't great, it?
3: That's how you. That's that's how you, you know we are a, we are a, That's how you learn them. We are a sweary nation. Like, how can you learn to, to live here without understanding, like you know, our 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 um our profanity and how and traditions? It's tradition, yeah. You no, know, it's it's uh yeah, it's our heritage.
2: Yeah, I mean, God, if you land you know, if you arrive in this country for the first time and you don't know the language, the first thing you need to know is when to call someone a twat and when to when to call someone a cunt.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Mm, That's base level
2: knowledge.
4: Yep. Yep. It's mind your language for real.
2: (laughs) So, on the cover of The Enemy this week, a lad in a cowboy shirt looking into a guitar-shaped mirror with a granddad looking back at him with the caption, Is your fave rave rock star old enough to be your father? Is rock and roll an old man's game? We named the aged men. Christ. On the cover of the TV (laughs) Times, John Junkin, Barry Cryer, and Tim Brook-Taylor for the new series of the radio-based comedy show, Hello Chica. The number one LP is A Night at the Opera by Queen. Over in America, the number one single is I Write the Songs by Barry Manilow. And the number one LP in America is Gratitude by Earth, Wind and Fire. So, Uh, David, what were you doing in January
4: of 1976? It was a strange time, 1976. I mean... You know, what I was hinting at with that Danny Baker's story early on is that there was just bugger all to do um, in the 70s. People <laughs> but just you don't had cold realize. Cold water it. taps,
3: you know? You got, yeah, yeah, you got a, you
4: got a tap, water. and that was about it, really. Um, you know, you, if, if you were lucky, extremely lucky, you know, if you had an orange squash dispenser. But um, yeah. and I was talking to my partner um, the other day, and it was just quite interesting, you know, about how I used to um, run around the block, you know, the Avenue in the state where I was, and collect car numbers. You know, I had a little notebook and pen. And like, what? I'd go past all of the, um, you know, that's, that every little cul-de-sac outside driveways or whatever, and I'd just write down the numbers of each car, and then put them in a book, and then I'd go home. Um, How many cars were in your area? Well, I mean, I said like three or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was. There must have been about forty-eight. I mean, if you spread out as far as Gascoigne Avenue, you know, that, that that number would increase to about you know fifty-three or fifty-four. And of course, it's great excitement if somebody <laughs> new moved into the area, and they're like, oh, there's, um, you know, I think Vauxhall Victor.
3: I love how you're saying like, oh no it was probably about exactly 50 yeah. you yeah. know exactly how oh, many no, cars no, there no, are to does. this day
4: it would be a number like that yeah it would be a very exact number whatever it is of, of that nature but I was telling her this and she was just a, George has dropped you know what she just considered the absolute mentalism of this pursuit you know. and she <laughs> said you were obviously autistic you're only autistic and, you know, and then that argument says like no it was the 70s that was all you know and of course sure enough I put this up on Facebook, put this out to this kind of, you know, the hive mind, and it turns out that everybody else is doing a similar sort of thing. You know, so this is like, Autism, seventies, autism, seventies. Um <laughs> it really was that was I also I kept a diary actually at the beginning of um, January you nineteen know, January 19th I got a new little diary and I decided just to sort of write down every little detail of like, you know, got up, had breakfast, um, went, to collect car numbers, you know, lunch, went, to collect more car numbers, every sort of little detail of my day. And I, I think about February or March, I decided that all this was too little information. So I started indicating in the diary when I went to the toilet. So if it was a piss, there'd be like literally a little slash. And then if it was a number two, I'd put a sort of like uh, a thick dot, you know, sort of. And if it had been a particularly large poo, then the dot would sort of be duly enlarged. And I, I wish I still had this diary. Um,
1: <laughs> But you know this is—you're
4: oh like a you, young Kenneth Williams, David. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. But you know this—this this is these is how you had to fill your days, um, because you know, and, and your toilet. You no, know, none of these smartphones—that's <laughs> for sure. You know, I mean, you know, you couldn't like you know, everybody stares at their phone these days. Well, staring at your phone meant going into the hallway and like you know, looking, staring at a green thing by the umbrella stand. You know, so. Just very different times. <laughs> other than sort of filling in my diary, I would have been let me think, I would have been in um third year at mm. school. I was just beginning to kind of sag off a bit. I'd been a kind of like academic sort of you know, absolutely model of like academia in the first couple of years, but I was starting to get a, a keynote, in you other know. words. Yeah, yeah, but then I don't know. I was just starting to slacken off a bit, you know. The color, the tie, the school tie was beginning to loosen a bit. They'd start to introduce the subjunctive in in French, you know. We'd have to learn about that, and I just thought, oh, sod this, the bloody mm. subjunctive, just. Um and yeah and um yeah it was it was it was a sort of a hiatus of a time really I was listening to music but the thing that really changed me listening was later that year when I got um, a cassette recorder for um, yeah um. For, 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 as a christmas present that 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 really changed my life actually um but at this point um i was still living off my previous christmas present of christmas 1975 which was crossfire Do you remember that oh fucking
2: hell you had crossfire so, yeah
4: yeah yeah Aww. so fingers were permanently blistered from like you know firing that little gun um so yeah there was a certain amount of crossfire going on definitely um and um yeah that 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 was it really. It was just it was a case of just waiting for something to happen. I think I was kind of experiencing the sort of like genuine genuine ennui or whatever and mm. disillusionment that led to sort of both punk and in its own way Thatcherism as well I suppose <laughs> you know society just seemed to be in a state of just you know torpor mm. music wise just beginning to sort of develop a sort of nascent consciousness, I suppose, about music, even yeah. prior to like having the cassette recorder. But you know, there's things I, I I listened to. You know, I would have listened to Stevie Wonder. It wasn't very discriminating. I mean, Paul Paul Nicholas often gets um, a bad rap on this show um, for his, especially with his reggae prognoses. But um, <laughs> um, but do you know what? I was a, I was a keen fan of Paul Nicholas. No. So to say at the time I, just, I was. I can't. You know, I'm not. I'm not proud of it. What but, does a um, fan of
2: Paul Nicholas entail? Well, I, I, Particularly I, amongst
4: I, a, a young lad. Well, I mean, as a young lad, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go stalking that or writing him letters or anything like that. But I certainly followed his, um, you know, his commercial progress with great <laughs> interest, and um, you know, my ears <laughs> would prick up. You know. You know, um, I would listen to a lot of Radio Radio One occasionally. Um, my dad would, um, and it sounds this sounds, sounds sad, but my dad used to sort of he worked in for a sort of a firm that designed shutters for the backs of lorries and what have you. And um, he would actually have to go out touring to sort of places like Sheffield and Doncaster. And sometimes, um, if it was a sort of school holiday, I would you, I would go out with him. You know, to all these places, and I'd sit in the car parks of these sort of horrible sort of light industrial estates and re- listen to the radio, listen to Radio One. Mm. So I soaked up a lot of um, Radio 1 at that point, yeah. um, you know, um, from, you know, Tony Blackburn and Arnold the Dog right through to, you know, um, David Hamilton and two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, very, you know. Um, yeah, but, you know, but very, very general taste. But it was kind I was beginning to sort of develop a sort of nascent musical consciousness. So I was beginning to kind of listen to music in a bit more of an attentive sort of way. Yeah, so I was –
2: around about this time I was seven and mm. uh, I was in the final year of infant school – and at the time, I was absolutely massively into World War two uh This was around the time that World at War uh was being repeated on Sunday tea yeah. times, which is fucking mental when you think about it now because you know there were mm. pretty no holds barred about the Holocaust and all that kind of stuff so you know round about Sunday tea time where you're having your your tinned salmon sandwiches you, you basically got to see a lot of dead bodies mm. Mm. and because I was British, I thought it was great you know. Uh, I, I just felt that I'd really missed out on a really good war, mm. and uh, you know, Dad's Army, uh, Battle Comic, yeah. uh, Commando, It Ain't art Mum. Yeah, you know, all these things telling me that this this war was a bit of a laugh. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And uh, whether you were in it and out there fighting or being a tum and having a good laugh in a in a you know in a Anderson shelter, yeah.
4: I, I went through a state of strong like, war consciousness, but not Holocaust consciousness, because what they actually did with World at War is the episodes concerning, like, genocide and um, concentration camps, they didn't broadcast them in, in peak hours. They had to put they, – they, they came out at 11, at night. They had to put them oh, on, late because they were too distressing for, uh, you know, mainstream TV hours. So, I think yeah, hol- it'll, Holocaust it'll, consciousness – I think for a lot of people it actually came in 1978 when they had that series um, – um, I think it was called Holocaust, wasn't it? An American-made yes. series. So you know that, that's what really woke me up to the full extent of the actual Holocaust. So now I had this kind of, like yourself, I had this kind of lovely innocent time, you know, about World War Two, where it was kind of, you know, it was basically kind of, you know, giving the Hun a bit of a biffing and uh, you know, yeah. fighting them on the beaches and what have you. But um, yeah, I'm making
2: making some Japanese
4: lad go aye. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before
2: yes. I die, I want to make a Japanese person go aye. <laughs> Oh, not in a yes. not in a killing them way, but in, I Just don't know, it, giving them a hmm. bit of a scare or give, something. Give you a bit know. of a tickle hmm. when it's not expected. Yes,
3: you see, guys, this is this is why we have Brexit, isn't it? Is there's you know an yeah, entire generation of people going? Do you know what war? That was a bit of a bit of a lark, you know, powdered egg.
2: I mean, the books I was reading at the time was the Silver Sword and the Machine Gunners, and when I'd done all the war books in school, I started looking for other things to read, and in the paper shop uh, one afternoon. Uh, I found this book by Sven Hassel, who I knew nothing about, but it had SS men on the front. And uh, on the back, uh, the the sort of the blurb for the story began in big type with the letters, they licked the walls of suicide. And I thought, oh, this will be good. So I bought it for about 80p or something and took it home and started reading it. And my mum caught me reading it and she went, absolutely fucking mental. Dragged me the full length of the estate over to the paper shop, gave him the hugest bollocking ever, and I got my money back. Whoa. But I was really pissed off, man. It looked like a good book, that did. Did you never finish it then? No, never. I only got to the first page.
3: Oh. Huh. So you yeah. didn't actually get to any, you know, wall, licking the walls of suicide? No. How d- no. How do you how do you lick that? That's that's a fascinating turn of phrase, isn't it? Like how do you? It's
4: fantastic, isn't it? That's a fucking band name waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> so I was reading the Billy Bunter novels of all things. Actually, at that point, I was obsessed <laughs> with them. Um, Why well, they were completely out? <laughs> he print. licked the because... <laughs> tuck basket of suicide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have got that. I'm reading. I'm reading about the fat owl of Greyfriars. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, highly problematic. Those. They, they, they were they were very good in a certain respect, whatever. But they were they were um, well, you know. There was obviously. I mean, you know to what fat shaving i mean (laughs) pretty much a constant theme of the billy bunter books and um but also there's a character called um hurry ramset Jan singh as well or the, the, the nabob of Bunny oh. for or Inky for short and um, who spoke his kind oh. of rather convoluted version of English you know much to the merriment of the the other members of the famous five uh, yeah. yeah so a, t- a touch problematic but um, you know
2: yeah I was reading the Just William books at the yeah, time as me well too. yeah absolutely because this was around the time that the TV show was on with Bonnie yes, Langford right. yeah that's right yeah that's where Bonnie Langford got a break the story about the the nasties. Mm. Where uh, William and his chums hear about Ikla and think, "Oh, let's have a go at that." What do they do? Oh, they they kind of like walk about with um with something that looks like two bendy snakes, mm. and they uh, they bother Jews. Mm. Oh, so they make yeah. so they make this banner out of two snakes, and they they go in the local sweet shop <laughs> and uh, demand that the Jewish owner gives them a load of toughies and he he pretty much tells them to fuck off. Oh dearie me! Yes, yes. yeah, different times. Yes, yes. So, what was on telly that day? Well, BBC One starts the day with schools programmes, then Bob Hoskins, Rosemary Leach and Martin Shaw in the adult literary show On The Move, followed by Trumpton, You and Me, the 607080 show with Roy Hood, Play School, The Wombles, Jack and Ori with guest star Jeremy Brett, John Noakes and Leslie Judd work a shift at the biggest chip shop in the world in Blue Peter, John Craven's Newsrand, You're Not Elected, Charlie Brown, Paddington, The News, Nationwide, and of course, Tomorrow's World. BBC2 begins with Play School at 11, and then closes down for seven hours before a quick blast of the Open University. And then there's Aventure, an Italian language course. They're just about to start Newsday with Robin Day, Ludovic Kennedy and Kenneth Kendall. Oh, what a power trio they are. (laughs) ITV has run schools programmes, The Laughing Policeman with Derek Guiler and the Bow Street Puppets, Hickory House, Some Blather About Cats in Perfect Pets, First Report with Robert Key, Then Crown Court, Jan Lehman in Women Only, The Drama Series Couples, The Law Series Justice, General Hospital, then the Romper Room, Spider-Man, Ace in Concert in the music show, The Geordie Scene, The News, Regional News in Your Area, Crossroads, and they're currently halfway through the Six Million Dollar Man episode, The Return of the Bionic Woman. Oh. Some decent
4: shit in there, isn't it, David? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's bring it back in there.
2: All right then, pop crazy youngsters, it's time to go way back to January of nineteen seventy-six. Don't forget, we may coat down your favourite band or artist, but we never forget they've been on top of the pops more than we have.
1: Hello, and welcome to Top of the Pops. <laughs>
2: Born David Pilditch in Manchester in 1938, David Hamilton started his broadcasting career in 1959 in West Germany for the British Forces Network. In 1960, he divided his time between Hanover and Manchester, where he became the InVision continuity announcer for ABC TV, which helped the ITV franchises for the North and Midlands at weekends. Then, in 1962, he landed his first gig with the BBC on The Light programme as the host of The Beat Show. In 1967, he joined the brand new Radio 1 as the host of Family Favourites, the request show which linked up members of the armed forces with their families and became the co-host of the ABC show Doddy's Music Box with Ken Dodd, who gave him the nickname Diddy David. When ABC TV folded in 1968, he jumped ship to the new London franchise, Thames TV, working as a continuity presenter and also hosting shows such as Miss TV Times, the TV Times Gala Awards, Assorted Circus Broadcasts and the World Disco Dancing Championships. In 1973, he became the most listened to DJ in the country when he hosted an afternoon show which would broadcast on both Radio 1 and 2 and he stayed there until 1977 when Radios 1 and 2 split for good and Hamilton was moved to Radio 2 where he stayed until 1988 when he quit due to their, his words, geriatric music policy. Right on. Before we discuss Did It, I have a confession to make um, because about 10 years ago i fucked up david hamilton's search engine optimization oh mate <laughs> 10 years ago when i was writing me erotic award winning male sex blog i made mention of the fact that david hamilton made a guest appearance on the video electric blue volume 1 and then received the following email from his manager uh, which was entitled diddy fucking david hamilton <laughs> it said he reads hi there we will be most grateful if you could remove the link from your blog site to David Hamilton's site, or indeed the word fucking as it's appearing in the searches. Many thanks indeed for your help. Regards, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I've, for some bizarre reason, every time you typed in David Hamilton, it would come up as Did he fucking David Hamilton? <laughs>
4: and did he fucking like
2: it? No, he fucking didn't. <laughs> Obviously, I made the change straight away, uh, but but yeah, I left it for an hour or two so I could tell all my mates so they could have a look, and <laughs> it was probably bumped it up a bit more. So I'd like to take this opportunity once again to apologise to Diddy fucking David Hamilton. So, David, Diddy.
4: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you make the point that it was came out simultaneously on radios one and two because that would have made a big difference yeah. then in terms of the signal. It would have got you know because it was when it was just radio one, it was just AM. It was a very very it was very fuzzy out of a transistor radio, or any kind of radio, car radio. But the Radio yeah. Two signal um, had, had a lot more clarity, so that would have definitely given him a, a sort of a, bit of a leg up, really. You know, yeah. over your Tony Blackburns, yeah. whoever. Just, but just he, something he cl-
2: was always seen as more of a Radio Two man than a Radio One man.
4: Yeah, yeah, wasn't it? yeah.
2: And, and we're talking about Radio Two in the old money, which was no, mm. nothing like the Radio Two of today.
4: No, it was it was Vince Hill and people like that, and um, yeah, uh, Perry Como. Yeah, yeah. No, Come was, with us,
2: run win, with us. Yeah. we're, we're going to change the world and all that shit.
4: Sing something simple and stuff like that. No, yeah, it, it, it Jimmy was, Young. Yeah, Jimmy Young, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: David Hamilton's essentially Jimmy Younger, isn't mm. he? Yes, yes, he is actually. Yeah, yeah, um, he's, he's he's actually thirty-eight. Uh, by the time this episode went out, mm, and mm. this is actually, I do believe it's his first ever uh, gig on top of the Pops.
4: Really. Yeah. Yes, actually, you're, I think, you're probably right. He I be? think him
2: being the being the face of Top of the Pops kind of told you what the music was like at this time. I feel definitely.
4: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. He is very kind of. You can sense that he is a sort of a safe pair of hands. I mean, uh, you're you, yeah. sure you'll correct me here, but I'm not really aware of any particularly kind of grotesque stories surrounding uh, David Hamilton. No. Not. I mean, no, certainly isn't, not. me. You, isn't you it? know. I don't think. Or he just seems to. You know. I imagine he just sort of. Um, you know. It was. Um, Coco and the shipping forecast, you know, when he when he got back home. Um, yes. it is. I mean I think the most grotesque thing I think about David Hamilton is that comb over that he he's got, which yeah, is Yeah, it's uh, terrible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Probably kept in place by Falcon hairspray or something. It's um um It's a it's a bit of a stylish Arthur Scargill mm. job, mm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um I mean he ha- he has a sort of Nondescript slickness about him, doesn't he? I think in this, mm. in you know, in this particular show. But but there's definitely, but he, you know, he is a bit of a kind of a blank in in many ways. And yes, and I yeah. think he's it he is pretty apt that he is, um, you know, putting you know, he is presenting show at this particular time. You know, there's no sort of false pizzazz, really. You know, top of the box no. is what top of the pops is at this point.
2: Yeah, he wasn't on it for very long, and you just can't see him kind of like. Presenting the Buzzcocks or hmm. or anything like that? Can you a year yeah. or so down the line? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Sarah, mm. you um, were you a stranger to Mr. Hamilton? Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd... he's still going to he's still broadcasting today. No,
3: I wasn't familiar with uh, his uh, his work at all. Ah.
2: So, so your initial reaction to him?
3: Um, yeah, he's a bit. <laughs> it's funny you you do get this was a particularly sort of seventies thing. I'm not sure you get it anymore, which is the sort of youngish curmudgeon you know it's like people you know mm. when you were like being 38 in 76 was not the same as what being 38 is no. now you know and that no. is a sort of uh, you would kind of lean into the um you know by then you were you were well into if you were a bloke you would you would have to uh, be considering you know how you would be as a as a grandfather, and you were sort of in the, mm. well in well into the uncle phase. You know, bedded right into sort of the kindly uncle thing. So yeah, it's a yeah, it's a little bit yeah. And whenever you go, oh, he was thirty eight, and it's like really wow, you know, because uh, yeah. you know, it's not that he especially looked older than that, just kind of acted older than that. But um, yeah, he's yeah. he's he was all right. He was because I was. Um, it's terrible, isn't it, that um, the standard now is always like how how creepy are they? And if they, mm. the longer they continue to not be actively creepy, the better. You're kind of like, yeah, he's not, yeah, he's all right, not too creepy. Mm. So there's a, you know, just the, the kind of standard slight oiliness that was required of any sort of male presenter at the time. I think
4: unctuous. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think I think that's right. Yeah, he is a little <laughs> bit creepy in places, but that was yeah, that, that was kind of mandatory at the time. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Like, mm. uh,
3: slightly oily, um, oleaginous. Is it? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
4: I mean, of course, David Hamilton, is, I mean, one of his best moments, is um, in the film Porridge, um, which actually came out in 1979. Yes. Remember, he, well, he doesn't appear in that, and that's the whole point. You know, he's meant to be, you know, there's, he's supposed to be Diddy David Hamilton's coming up. He was supposed to be part of the Celebrity 11. That's gonna come right, up and play yes. Them. And of course, you know, the, 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 all, all the big celebrities, including led by Diddy David Hamilton, um, you know, he, he, they, let, they let the scene down and he's replaced by the weatherman from Anglia TV. That's um, right, yes. After the disappointment of, uh, flexion and, and Co. Um, yeah, it's actually remembering most vividly for that, actually, his, his treacherous non-appearance in the Celebrity Eleven in uh, supposed to go yeah. to Slate Prison.
2: He's more of a presenter than a pop person, and he'd be just mm. as happy doing a, I don't know, a fishing show or something like that.
3: Oh, well, definitely. I mean, he's he's that sort of professional, you know, and he seemed to only kind of have one mode. I think just one, one setting, really, kind of across yeah. the board. He's that guy wherever he goes, you know. Um, so he did a... Um, uh, a wacky kids show in 1978 called uh, You Can't Be Serious with uh, Dexter yes. Fletcher, who I was like, Dex- Dexter Fletcher, who was, who was a child, you know, like how, well? I, I think he's like some sort yeah. of strange time traveling, but like, was he an Oliver Twist in the 60s? Like how old is Dexter <laughs> Fletcher? How old is Dexter Fletcher? Um, so yes, yeah. and it was like a sort of, you know, um, a zany a zany kids show, and he was there, kind of doing doing a zany bit. But it, it just it was sort of painfully yeah. unzany, really. He was yeah. just kind of, uh, yeah. you know, just, uh, just quite a sort of um, hopelessly kind of staid presence, I think. But not, you know. But like I said, not too creepy, so he's okay with me.
2: Did it. Shot from the neck up in a red V-neck jumper, a massive white Condor collars which threaten to hang out on the television set, plunges us straight into the top 30. And as always, we've got some splendid photos to accompany this rundown, haven't we? Any any particular favourites well, from um, anyone? The
3: first one is uh, uh, the, the Wing and a Prayer.
2: Uh, the Wing and a Prayer 5 yeah. and Drum Corps. Who were no such thing. They did a really manky disco version of Babyface.
3: But yeah, The Wing and a Prayer is a a woman in in glorious kind of uh, shiny disco 70s um, makeup and a big sort of false nose and glasses like a kind of uh, Groucho Marx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is and and she's completely yeah. deadpan and just kind of looking in this sultry way through these ridiculous glasses. It's like, yeah, there's there's an arresting image. I, I like this. Yeah,
2: where the fuck did they get that don't from know. and why? But that's
3: I don't want I don't want to know. Nobody nobody write in and tell us. I don't I don't actually want to know. No. And by the time you get into the top ten, you've got Billy Howard. It just looks like a kind of a passport photo that he's like. Yeah. Oh God, Billy Billy, we've got to we've got to send in a picture to top of the pops. So, oh no! And that's like all he's you know.
2: He's dressed like Stan out of on the buses. Yeah. He's got that big roll neck thing going on. And it's
3: too low down as well so like his name kind of goes there's like space at the top where his head, you know and then like yeah. his name his name kind of covers half his face when it comes up the picture
2: composition is fucking awful isn't
4: it's it so bad in the rundown i mean it is a bit like as it is often the case of top of the pops you know when you go to go to the kind of you know the fairground attraction and they've got the um you know the the, the prizes are always enormous great teddy bears and things like that and like mini and stuff yes. like that. And what you actually get when you hook the duck is you know a sort of like six inch by three inch piece of crap you know <laughs> Um, there's no, yeah. you know, it's almost like this rundown. I mean, it's like Paul Simon, David Essex, the Walker Brothers, Roxy Music, Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then I thought, oh, well, not, yeah. none of whom will be appearing on the show tonight.
2: <laughs> no, here's oh, what you could yeah, have yeah, well, yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's like Bully's prize board, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's true.
3: There is a slight, slight sense of foreboding, isn't there? Kind of going, who's it going to be? Because, uh, you know, the the format here obviously kind of giving everything away up front, including up to and including the number one. Yes. It just shows how, how things have changed now that you are. You know, audiences have to be there, has to be a tease for everything. You know, what's going to happen now? Come back, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, come back after the break or, or you'll never know. And this is just like, yeah, we're going to tell you what the number mm. one is. It's like, God, don't, aren't you worried that people are going to switch off yeah. and go about their business, you know?
2: Yeah, because I mean, at this time, I wasn't aware of the music press or the new chart rundown in next day's papers. So for me, top of the pops, it was the first time I got to see the mm. charts. Yeah. And, yeah, spoiler alert.
3: You could look away, though. The, the, what they should have done is the announcers just said, you know, like a footy thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, right. So this was the thing you would...
2: Well, that's what I always used to do.
3: Look away now.
2: Yeah, when he got down to the top three, I would always look away. Yeah. The other pictorial highlights that I noticed this were uh, Roxy Music have suddenly got a couple of models draped about them. Crispy and Co. sitting on a wall looking like disaffected youths. Uh, sheer elegance live up to their name once again <laughs> with massive polka dot shirts under happy shopper Burberry waistcoats. ELO opposing posing as if they're in a football team for vagrants. And yes, Billy Howard proper stan butler out of on the bus's job there and like you said sarah yeah i mean the, the the pitch composition's fucking awful because they would just slap numbers and words over people's faces
3: yeah. well what could you do though i mean you know you just terrible. have to work with what, what you have
2: terrible imagine if you're in a band and you're in top of the pops <laughs> for the first time and you've, your face is obscured by a number 32 yeah. or something well number 22 yeah
3: well especially if yeah it's like that that would then be you know what people in the future would would see and that was all that was all that would be that's all that would be left of you to you know show to future generations is your yeah. face with a sort of you know but with your 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 your, uh, your tentative smile obscured by a great big Neon green W,
2: and there's a lot of old stuff in the charts, yeah, it isn't there? Well? No-
3: What's a Laurel and Hardy doing there?
2: Oh, that was Trailer the Lonesome Pine, oh. which was nearly the Christmas number one. Oh,
3: blimey!
2: Chubby Checker, Let's Twist Again,
3: yeah,
2: and the twist double A side. Small Faces, Ijiku
4: Park. Yep.
5: Mm.
4: It was a very there was, uh, while there was not a lot happening, there was a lot of there was a very retrograde mood for the year, actually. I think this was the year there was a big year for the Beatles, actually. A lot of um mm. issues and the films all being on telly, so. The Beatles were very much a big thing. It's just a sort of pause, and I mean, it's just like the history—you know—the velocity of like the kind of rock and pop is beginning sort of run down a bit, and it's just beginning to point where we can start to look back to the kind of the the, the beginnings, you know, your Elvises, your Evely's and and what have you. Um, So there's definitely a very retrograde, you know, almost sort of postmodern type mood about, about Pop at this time. You know, people are just really waiting around for the next thing to happen. And
2: will that next thing happen on this episode? Find out Pop crates youngsters. <laughs> immediately into the first song, Glass of Champagne, by Sailor. Formed in London in 1973 by George Kajanis, a Norwegian composer and guitarist in the folk rock band Eclection, Sailor were originally put together to perform a musical theatre concept Kajanis had devised about his formative years in Paris. After being signed to Epic Records a year later, they recorded their debut LP, which incorporated pub piano, street organ and synthesizers, which inspired them to create a machine called the Nickelodeon, a wooden contraption which linked up two upright pianos, two synths, two mini-organs and two glockenspiels. The first three singles all failed to chart, but the fourth, this one from their second LP Trouble – Entered the top 40 in mid December of 1975, and it's now in its second week at number two. So, David, hmm. let's talk about this Nickelodeon. Do you mention it in your book? I don't. No, I oh, I failed to mention it. No, I mention
4: it. I know. Yes, yes. Yet another emission. You know, it's, it's, um, I feel a little bit, you know, with this book, it's a bit like remember the episode in Black Adder, um, where, you know, with. Robert Coltrane as Dr. Johnson and says, Yes, I have completed my dictionary. Yes, it contains every single word in our mother yes. tongue. And Ronak, you know, says, "What?" Well, in which case, I offer you my heartiest contrafibularities. And, then, you know, and it's, there are many, this is one such contrafibularity. That is, the Nickelodeon ought to be in a book, by, by Jove. It's, it's the most distinctive thing about, obviously, Sailor. In other respects, for me, Sailor. Pretty much sum up this period of 1976, actually. Um, everything about them. It was a strange sort of time in music. There seemed to be a lot of theatre folk who were kind of making music, you know, a lot of sort of, sort of wacky extras. It was a time of rock follies and things like that, of course. And there seemed to be this kind of a lot of crossover between you know, Julie Coventons and people like that, a lot of crossover between pop and music, musicals and the theatre. And the same, that, 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 those sorts of people seemed to be kind of really infesting the charts. Um, in a big way, and there is something slightly kind of irritatingly sort of wacky and extrovert, you know, about the way they conduct themselves on stage. The semiotics, you know, are all over the place in terms of the way that they're kind of dressing. It is a bit sort of you know, kind of sort of secondhand furniture shop, very sort of postmodern and you know, big caps or whatever and stuff like that. Um, and it's strange, you know, and they're sort of pitched somewhere between Roxy Music's Virginia Plain and Lieutenant Pigeon, well. I suppose. You know, it's hard to say, <laughs> so really. And I mean, it's a, there's strong echoes actually of Virginia Plain. I've not really noticed this before in, in, in lots of ways about this particular. It, it's, a, piece. it's a bit
2: more Golden Virginia than
4: uh,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Virginia Plain, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah,
3: no, more, more the sort of, um, you know, the, the really dried up, stale bits of Golden Virginia in the kind of the, the seam yeah. of, the, of the packet, you know.
2: <laughs> so, David, where is electronic music, right? about 1976, who's doing it,
4: and how, how, how much of it is getting into the charts? Well, I mean, you've got things like Magic Fly by like Space, you know, came out at yeah. right this time, and they were almost like prototypes for um, Dark Punk. Craftwork um, obviously had already got Autobahn under their belt, um, and that had been the kind of the first great incursion. Um, and I think in '75, I think it was the yeah they they went on to Tomorrow's World, but they they, they were just doing I think at this stage they would be doing Radioactivity. Um, the album, so, which I don't think yielded any, any any hits as such. So it really was beginning to happen and there was, I mean, you know, in the sort of subcurrent of things, you know, I think 76 was um, I mean, David Bowie, I think, would have been sort of going through his kind of burling period and that suddenly kind of all this kind of Teutonic stuff, which might have seemed like wacky, novel, ridiculous, or whatever, is suddenly taken very, very seriously all of a sudden once David Bowie gives it his whole blessing. So that's at a kind of very sort of nascent stage. I think it's around this time that John Savage had written this piece called New Music with a K on the end of music, you know, and there's yeah. all these various things that are beginning to come together. People like even Carrie Voltaire and Throbbing Gristle are just beginning to sort of stir as well. Um, so, so yeah, but it's, I mean, it, it is odd, actually, because I think, you know, this to actually hear this little kind of burst of synth, you know, in the middle of this song, you know, is is yeah. that, that would still have been a kind of quite novel and quite another thing. Similar, I suppose, you know, to Virginia Plain. Bands were starting to dabble a little bit, weren't mm. they? I mean, like um, in a previous chart music, uh, The
2: Sweet uh, Fox on the Run, that's mm. quite synth there. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, they're gradually becoming more accessible as instruments. I mean, it's really only in the late '70s where these, you know, synths really come down in price and really become kind of accessible. You know, you get a similar, mm. you know, a bit similar. Synths have their kind of Freddie Laker revolution type revolution. You know, and everything comes down yeah. to present. Suddenly, they and they're perfect instruments for punk, really, and post-punk. So, um, yeah. But at this stage, they are. It is. It's still a bit of a novelty, a bit of a quirk. And that was the trouble with a lot of synths music at the time. It didn't really it wasn't really taken seriously because it was just this like sort of, it felt like this little add-on really, rather than an instrument that was actually going to fundamentally transform the nature of pop music. Yeah, because, I mean, here's a, a, a prime example of how synths are being treated in
2: early 1976 and mm. they've they've kind of, like, disguised it under mm. a load of yeah. wood and antique nonsense. So, yeah. Um, it's like they've invented steampunk, I isn't was just, it?
4: It was ex- exactly that. It's very, very steampunky, in fact. Yeah, yeah.
2: And it's also like those tellies that you could win on uh, Sale of the Century that looked like ornate uh, antique cabinets that opened up to reveal a telly. Mm. Mm. It's that age where you don't show off your technology. yeah. It's yeah. got to be disguised. I mean... Hmm. Even up to the early '80s, you know, where I remember having a um, an Atari, and that had fake wood inlay all over it. Indeed, yeah, yes.
3: Imagine the. Um, I just feel sorry for the crew. Like, you know, imagine that like for their kind of half-assed conceptual thing, you know, and they've all got their different costumes and they've got the they've got the Nickelodeon. Like, imagine the the what you that completely pointless endeavor and how many people have, have kind of. Um, you know, strained back muscles trying to kind of hoik it. You know, and like how you you have to kind of take it apart and put it back together somewhere else. But, yeah. for, but for no good reason, it's a really, it's, you know, why <laughs> yeah. why is this? There's quite an exciting... It
2: looks good on the teller. Does it? Mm.
3: Yeah. Mm. It looks... Well,
2: yeah, 1976, you'd be looking at it going, oh, what is that? What's going on? Why is he, why is he hitting it on the side? Because one of them steps off, there's like a bass drum... Yeah. embedded into the front of it and he makes a point of going off and giving it a good yeah, old thump twice. every now and then. Twice, um, at yes. least,
3: and, and and kind of with with, a, uh, with with much ceremony and kind of getting up and going, oh, I'm going to do a thing. Oh, what am I doing? I'm hitting a bass drum that's part of this yeah, 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 yeah. kind of monstrous thing that shouldn't be that we have, Seen fit Absolutely. foist upon your eyes. I think
4: Sarah Sarah gets it right there. For what reason? I mean, it, it seems to be... I'm sure that they kind of applied themselves in all kinds of ways in terms of songwriting and in terms of building these machines and th- picking up the costumes, but at heart, there's just something utterly whimsical about the whole enterprise of a group like Sailor.
3: No, I, I love absurdity. I love, um, I love the ridiculous. I love things that don't have an explanation that come out of nowhere. But you've got to do that right. You can't just go... Mm. Here's a you, know, you can just see when there kind of isn't the intelligence behind it to to all the, the kind of confidence to really pull it off, they're just sort of capering about. Mm. They've just sort of got some, yeah, it, it's quite a sort of immature. Um, oh god, I sound god, I sound so awful, don't I? It's like, yeah, it, it's like I couldn't come up with a concept better than this, but also I, I know that, so I'm not going to try, and also I'm going to leave, mm. sin, you know, I'm going to keep synths and Glockenspiels separate, you know. If uh, I don't, I don't think they are. I don't think they're meant to be glued together and have a bass drum stuck on them. But there's actually quite an exciting. Um, there's quite an exciting. The the um, the first shot is it's kind of you're sort of in the belly of of the piano. You can see the, the hammers kind of you know just uh, you know almost hammering your eyeballs. And then it pulls out and it's like oh look there's a um, you know. And then it just gets worse and worse. The, the camera kind of pulls out to reveal the full horror. But uh, it's a good, yeah. It's a, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice opening shot. I do like, um, you know, an exciting kind of instrument close up on uh, to start top of the pops off with. It's always a it's always a good way.
2: Yeah, uh, but uh, the, the flaw I see in this is that if you are into this song, it's going to inspire a lot of the pop craze youngsters to start miming on the dad's drinks cabinet mm. <laughs> and and then you know thumping the side of it and you know breaking loads of glasses and stuff like that mm.
5: i, I Cam, just campari
3: flying left and right
2: you know all those <laughs> tumblers fucking saved yes. up from the garage oh. Ugh, doesn't bear thinking about but the thing is about the technology david if we can, if we bang on about mm. mid 70s technology um it was supposed to be fucking massive that was the yeah.
4: uh, that was just the thing, wasn't it? it? It was. I mean, in Tangerine Dream, you know, in particular, they, they, they had stacks and stacks of the stuff, yes, and it was supposed to be kind of cathedral-like and an awesome spectra- and a spectacle and son and lumière and all that, you know, big light shows or whatever, which is why craftbook yeah, it also actually, had
2: to be fucking massive to make it yeah, work as well. Didn't I think
4: it? this is where craftbook are very mischievous, you know, when they eventually kind of make a point of reducing you know, the things inside, you know, like the, the pocket calculator size, you know, went in the 1980s. They understand that, you know, that they're, they're being kind of subversive even with the world of synth, probably, and like that, you know, that everything has to, <laughs> everything is little, you know, they're deliberately kind of being kind of emasculating and sort of taking away all that kind of sort of spectacle of pomp and power. Um, but yes, certainly in the, in the 70s, there was yeah, there was an idea, you know, there was this real sense of behold, you know, the ultimate behemoth.
3: <laughs> but there, there's a difference, yeah. though, between, you know, the, uh, between like a... You see, now I'd, I've, I, you know, like when you know how to pronounce a thing properly, but it makes you sound like a twat. David, how would you pronounce, you know, the, the sort of large modular synths with uh, its um, four letters, the, the mog, middle
4: of that? Moog. Moog.
3: Moog. I just wanted you to go yeah. first. So that I, because yeah. I, you know, it's like, well, of course, there's a, there's a great difference between a, a Moog and, uh, and and this, this abomination. Um, Anyway, there is. So I, I would re- repeat that, but just in my, my own voice. Um, like, don't just, you can't just bolt one thing onto another thing. Do you know what it reminds me mm. of? It reminds me of when Homer Simpson becomes a, a conceptual artist because he got in a rage and and failed to... Put a barbecue together properly, and it's just this kind of horrible yes. tangled mess <laughs> in some concrete. That's what this is. Yes. And oh yes, and I, I have down here that it's um the the piano being robustly pummeled by apparently Ken Dodd's jolly nephew. It's all, yes, they're, they're so bloody jolly. So just this is it. yes.
4: but, it's just annoying it's, it's that irritating quirkiness and it crops up again a lot in the kind of the new yeah. wave era just after punk you know and it's this like mm. sort of stripy trousers and um people oh, wearing I mean. rimmed spectacles and stuff like that yeah and it's just you know that kind of wacky spiky quirky pre-colin hunt type sort of zaniness yeah.
3: Yeah. also i must point out and this is something that i've noticed uh, that i noticed throughout this episode everyone looks in the camera and I will come back to this, mm. but these guys mm. are kind of, you know, staring into the camera going, watch me, watch me. I'm going to do a thing. Here I go. Yeah. And yeah. one way it. or another, yeah. everyone has obviously been told, look in the camera. And it's quite unnerving yeah. because some of them will, will sort of, you know, you can you can feel you're being, uh, you know, you're being made love to through the camera. And it's like, no, I don't want to be made love to. Don't do that. Mm. So, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, told to look into the camera by who, though, Sarah? The, the, uh, the, the floor managers or their, I don't know, their... Managers, you know the band managers I don't know put yourself over this is mm. just
3: what this is uh go on love put yourself over um but this is this is obviously this is the the you know der in nineteen seventy six is like
2: yeah connect s-
3: connect
2: connect Ooh. with the youth
3: and you can see how mm. uncomfortable some of them are anyway, sailor clearly are are not uncomfortable with this. they are quite happy to I'm surprised none of them actually leap up and kind of grab the camera by by its cheeks and give it a little shake, you know
2: yes. Let's talk a little bit about what they're wearing because I'm di- very disappointed there. The band's called Sailor. Only one of them's really bothered, hasn't it? George, mm. the lead singer. Mm. And, and I must say that somewhere in Bush, yeah, a 17-year-old Simon Le Bon is looking at this performance and going, hmm,
4: interesting look. <laughs> Doesn't
2: yeah. he look like Simon
4: Le Bon? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bit
3: a bit, uh, a a bit, bit rough. Sort there.
4: of early, uh, 1882... Simon Le bon. elements of um, some of Dexie's worst excesses, actually, as well. But, um, but
3: there's kind of a, there's a selection of, of of sort of jaunty caps, which mm. um, yeah,
2: there's, uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, Nickelodeon players is is, is full on Chas and Dave. The other one looks like he's going to the Oval to watch uh, to watch a bit of cricket, and the drummer's just not bothered at all. There's a sort yeah. of a, there's
3: a bit of a um, shades of the man from Del Monte in. Uh, in your man who is really Definitely. the guy who's really happy to be hitting a drum a couple of times on telly. Yes. Um yeah, it's so ja- mm. I've just got re- <laughs> I am just looking at my notes here. This is so jaunty. I hate it. Mm. Sorry. Yeah,
2: and that, that's that's pretty much the opinion I had when this when this song came out. I mean the, the the thing I really didn't like about this song was it was going on about having a glass of champagne and I'd had my first glass of champagne uh, that Christmas. And it was shit. I fucking hated it. Uh, I'd sooner sooner have the froth off me me dad's pint. Hmm. (laughs) Champagne was just like really crap Alpine
4: pop. Oof. Mm.
3: Well, I, I don't know what maybe, yeah. maybe you were given something that uh, that you know maybe it wasn't proper champagne. You know,
4: doesn't sound like it was. What you yeah, saying? Yeah, I was given baby permaine. sham or something. Who knows? Yeah,
2: glass of permain. That <laughs> would be a far more suitable but title. It doesn't. Mm.
3: The thing is, it doesn't sound like if you if you if you were played this this song and you said what what drink does it make you think of? Champagne would not be at the top of the list. It would be no. you know it would be more like um, some sort of cordial.
4: Apple ties.
3: Yeah.
4: So something like this. I mean it is I mean people think punk is coming to sort of like get you know, as the antithesis of prog and stuff like that. But in a way, you know, punk is coming to sort of drive this sort of thing out. I mean the thing about something like this is it yeah. it, it lacks rage and misery and alienation. It is just a bunch <laughs> of like I say, theatre folk just capering about and showing off and having far too good a time.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, I have to, um, here's, a, here's a, a detail that I feel I should point out. The set is incredible. Obviously, that's nothing to do with them. But yes. they've got this fantastic um, kind of pyramid of lights behind them. And then these sort of
5: mm.
3: great big orange sort of, uh, I don't know what they're made of, but they're kind of big dramatic stalactites um, sticking sticking down towards their heads, sort of looming over them like, mm. uh, like kind of... Um, I don't know, I suppose they look a bit like bombs, don't they? But anyway, they're great. So hats off to the set designer, whoever that was. Well done.
2: So the following week, Glass of Champagne dropped three places to number five. The follow-up, Girls, 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 would get to number seven in April of this year, but they'd only have one more chart here before splitting up in 1979. Drummer Stephen Serple went on to become a chemistry teacher, Nickelodeon operator Ian Marsh married D.D. out of Pan's People and formed the electronic group Data with George Kajanis, and keyboardist Phil Pickett co-wrote It's a Miracle and Karma Chameleon with Boy George and the original Nickelodeon was thrown off a hotel roof by a disgruntled roadie in 1978. But when the band reformed in 1991, there have been seven much lighter versions of it.
3: They threw it off the roof. I hope they they kind of warned people first. Mm. It's like, you know, you can just imagine the headline, Seven Dead in Nickelodeon Horror. Yes. (laughs)
1: Number two of the BBC Top 30, that's Sailor and a glass of champagne. Let's also raise a toast to this young lady, first of our new entries on the programme today, and for the first time at number 22 this week. The lovely Barbara Dixon, her version of an old song called Answer Me.
2: Niddeh, still only seen from the neck up, responds to what he's just seen by shouting "Hey!" and then, like the Linkmaster he is, asks us all to charge out glasses for a lovely woman, Barbara Dixon and her song "Answer Me." Lovely lady, I think
3: you'll find. It's
2: lovely lady. It's always ladies and
3: yeah. yeah Thank yeah. you. A young. It's a lovely, a lovely young lady. It
2: wouldn't call a woman a woman, would it? It'd be a lady. Mm, sorry. Yeah. Born in Dunfermline in 1947, Barbara Dixon began her singing career in the folk clubs of Fife in the mid-60s, released her first single in 1968 and, after a spell in a duo, released her first solo LP in 1970. In the early 70s, she played a folk club in Liverpool and got chatting with the organiser, a teaching student called Willie Russell, who showed her the first draft of a script he'd written about the Beatles called John, Paul, George, Ringo and Bert and invited her to perform the music. After the show ran for a year in the West End and won the Best Musical in the 1974 Evening Standard Awards, she was signed by co-producer Robert Stigwood to his record label R.S.O., this song, her first on the new label, is a cover of the 1952 single "Mutter Line," which was recorded by Frankie Lane a year later under the title Answer Me, O Lord Above, which was then banned by the BBC when religious groups complained that he was mithering God about why his girlfriend had dumped him. So when the lyrics were rewritten to Answer Me My Love, it became a number one in America for Nat King Cole, a number one over here for David Whitfield, and then a week later, a number one again for Frankie Lane for eight weeks. And at one point, both versions of that song were the number one and number two singles in the UK chart fucking hell. Mm. And it's this week's highest new entry at number 22. Where do we start with this, my dears? Yeah. Yeah, Sarah, you, you know, Diddy describing her as a lady rather than woman. Does that bother you? Does it you, do, do, do offend you when you're described as a lady?
3: It's it's just, it's an, it an old fashioned term that is now, it's, uh you know, it has a certain amount of baggage. I don't think of myself as a lady. I will occasionally use it in a sort of slightly ironic way but I try even not to do that mm. because I think it's just it's just a bit of a relic isn't it of of terminology um it's not as bad as female oh, you can't
2: say out nowadays can you David it's, you can't I, I think
3: but, it's well, really weird. no apparently I apparently I can't say out I'm just starting to I'm just getting I'm just getting <laughs> my I'm just getting onto this and and then it's like hmm let's see what let's see what the men think of this Oi, fif- you had 15 fif-
4: seconds oh. You had 15 seconds now, come on Yeah, let the lady have a say, David <sighs> yep,
3: King Um <laughs> Yeah, um, ladies, there, there's always You know, it, it kind of wears you down after a bit In an episode of Top of the Pops from this era As, you know, the lady, oh these mm. are the ladies Aren't they lovely, all oh, the lovely ladies And their legs, <laughs> and their lovely Oh look, oh look at the lovely ladies Aren't they lovely um, It's not, it's a little bit Um
2: it gets on your tits, doesn't it?
3: It it does. It does get on my tits. Yes, Al. Um, so the thing is, it's not as bad as it's not quite as bad as female as uh, as we had. Uh, you know, in um, yeah, chat show twenty eight, uh, we had uh, I I had to chastise Montel Jordan for his use of females. Yeah, it's it's just I don't because there isn't really an equivalent that would of a sort of a slight. It's a slightly diminutive or or kind of it's a slightly smallening way to refer to somebody and there isn't a male equivalent. You know, if it's ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen doesn't have the same implications at all. It doesn't have, uh, you know. So, anyway, sorry, um, I'm done now, carry on.
4: It's a palaver, isn't yes. it? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously when people say lady in that phrase it, it implies a kind of old-fashioned gallantry, but coming from people whose views on women are otherwise probably quite reconstructed. It's a slightly awkward linguistic thing, really, because the word woman... Can sometimes have its own sort of baggage insofar as it's used oh, lo- yeah. in a very pejorative woman. way. It's a lovely, oh, a lovely yeah. young
3: oh, woman is, is, yeah. It depends on how you put so it. Right. It
4: could have that, or or it could be pejorative. You know, woman, will you just shut up? You know, when people say woman in that yeah. kind of harsh way. So yeah, it's, it's all As if as if the English language actually lacks a kind of truly adequate word, really, because lady has sort of got all that kind of, like you said, that old world sort of condescension and sort of you know faux high regard. But woman can sometimes yeah. seem a bit harsh. And, of course, female is just, you know, yeah, yeah. so it's a bit But This I, is
2: pretty much the conversation that NWA had when they were starting their career, wasn't it? I'm that sure, yeah. Probably yeah, had know. a really big discussion about, oh, how best. To, mm. We can't use that word. We can't use that word. Let's oh, let's try this word. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> so now, let's raise a, sh- a glass of champagne to this fine-ass young mm-hmm. bitch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah i know i I understand it is it's a it's a it's a minefield and a tightrope and all of those things but i mean there's nothing wrong with the, with anything else it's not the words themselves it's 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 the what they 've kind of been infused with and what they've uh collected along the way and how they've become um, sort of bent into shape or bent out of shape. So um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's because an archaism, th- but it's not it's not the most offensive thing. It's just a it's mm. like I said, it's no. just a bit of a fossil. So okay,
2: yeah, because I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to think of Janice Long describing I don't know Ryan Paris as a as a lovely gentleman, mm. but but she just wouldn't would she? no, No. Yeah.
4: Mm. Um, gentlemen uh. is quite often, it's quite often it's used in the context of Asians, whatever, you know, or 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 black people sometimes. If people want to sort of seem exaggeratedly unprejudiced and say, and then, yes, and then they had have a nice talk with an Asian gentleman. Um, quite often, yeah, oh. uh, there's, there's that context sometimes. Um, yeah, I would say that, that Barbara Dixon is maybe sort of in the 70s, somebody's idea of a lady or whatever, somebody with a certain kind of sort of, class and grace and not one of these um not, not one of these strumpets that you get of course <laughs> and um you know, no, no, hot pants or anything like that no um, so um i mean barbara dixon she would have um i mean you say you know two ronnies it always used to kind of irk me or whatever you'd be kind of guffawing away at the two ronnies or, or you had the same with it's like tommy cooper show where they'd you'd be interrupted by yeah. you know but you'd be guffawing away you know they'd they'd you know Piggy Malone and Charlie Farley and going to Paris and sort of traveling down La Rue de remarks, you know. And I mean, all this kind mm. of you know, punished sort of glory. Um, but it was like, no, yeah, no, no, you can't. No, no, it's not. Let's not have too much of this laughter. Um, you know, we can't just go yeah, all the way through the comedy. let calm it down do. now. We have to have, calm down, but have, have a nice, sensible. You know, we have to sort of like, you know, sort of gather yourself up from the aisle and sit sensibly and listen to some nice, some nice songwriting. It was almost like, you know, the, 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 fun, you know, the, the function, you know, seemed to be to kind of. You know, let's not get too carried away. Let's have too much fun. Yeah, It's um, like
2: when the Rolling Stones played that slow blues jam in mm. Altamont.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just like, why not just keep up the velocity? Why not just keep have the comedy running right through? You know, yeah. it, it just, um, it's just this kind of mandatory sort of mumsy sort of sensibleness, you know. And it's all oh, the floral dresses and shaken vac and gravy and neck curtains and the arches and Kay's catalogue and, you know, and cups of tea yes. and, you know and like you know, tidy up now, tidy up. It's of Barbara Dixon. Yeah.
3: I'll tell you what, though. I do think um, you you can describe. I think it's it's a fair description to say that uh, Barbara Dixon is is indeed lovely. At this point, I, I thought she is she is lovely. She's got this amazing giant yeah. hair. She's got this giant sort of poof of, of hair, um, and um, yeah. incredibly, it's a
2: bit beaverish, isn't it? A
3: little bit, but she's got you know very shiny yeah. red lipstick, which um, you know I've. I've most women would admire as, as something that is quite hard to achieve red lipstick for some reason. Yes. I don't know why this isn't. I've probably said before, but red lipstick is really difficult to apply and keep straight and everything. So I haven't bothered even is trying that? for years. Yeah. Well, it, it goes on your teeth and like, it's cause it's so bright and there's the, it, like any, if you, if you stray outside the lines whatsoever, it, you can really see it, you know, from, from space. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, and she's got, you know, her her very, she's got beautiful telly teeth as well. Very, like, white, shiny yeah. teeth. And, um, yeah, and, like I said, is...
2: Nice flowery dress. Nice
3: flowery dress and uh, very good posture as well at the piano. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, she she looks to me like a really, really nice teacher who you have a bit of a cry with on your last day of leaving infant school.
3: Yeah. That's a... That's, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And she's very... And, again, doing the staring straight down the camera thing, but not in a way that I minded. I didn't feel... You know, I was quite no. happy to have this level of intimacy with Barbara Dixon at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah, extremely confident. And again David, you know, mm. you talked about theater theater folk. Is 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 one of them pretty much. It's not much. the same kind of theater yeah. though, is it? No, but this has actually got to the dance, isn't it, really? By mm. by doing mm. stuff on in a play.
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that she's an exceptionally nice person. I'm, you know, it's um I'm she is. absolutely certain of it. Absolutely certain of it, and I would feel like an absolute heel you know, if I ever uh. had met her and like you know, and I'd said all of this and made me kind of dis- disdainful.
3: Did you not like the song, David? Um, well, I mean, the thing is, it's like
4: it's a very capable performance, but again, you know, it has that kind of and, you know mm. everything. You know, she hits right, notes, whatever, but there's 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 no real sort of soulful kind of content or inflection about it there's no sort of strangeness or allure about it it's just very sort of sensibly and capably put together you know like a piece of mfi furniture (laughs) or something
3: it's sort of easy it's an easy listening with a little tang of country Mm, there's a little lap slide in there which and i am a big fan of the lap slide i have to say um it, it always used to i used to find it uh, it's like oh no it, it, this means country music run away but actually I've I've grown to love it it's so mournful mm. like it doesn't matter there's something about the instrument that it doesn't matter if if you're um, even even when you're doing a kind of jaunty bit on it it still sounds like oh mm. god oh sad things I have it's really like it makes you think of Brokeback Mountain yeah just go, oh no oh the 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 pain and angst of 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 you know the of of the country life. This song to me is is it's
2: sophisticated girly folk, isn't it? Mm. It's like, you know, a few years ago she'd be wearing a peasant dress and sitting in a club doing some Joni Mitchell, now she's she's a little bit more older and wiser. Yeah. And it's all right, but it is a total Radio 2 song. Mm. David Hamilton introducing this. We we're, we're just whacked around the face with Radio 2 now, aren't we?
4: Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure in terms of the sequencing, you know, after all that kind of of um, happy-go-lucky catering in the first one, once again, you know, let's calm things down a bit, you know. Yeah. Keep calm and listen to Barbara Dixon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My mate worked with her on uh, Band of Gold in uh, in the mid-90s, and he told me that she is the absolute loveliest woman he's ever worked with. Yeah. She was very keen to stress to him uh, the fattening properties of bread. She was pretty ahead of her time, considering it was the mid-90s. Yeah. Anti-gluten and all that. Yeah. But yeah, really nice woman. Oh. oh, bless her. So, the following week, Answer Me jumped eight places to number 13, would then drop to number 17 the next week, but would shoot up to number nine the week after its highest position – the follow-up, a cover of the impression song People Get Ready, failed to chart, but she would close out 1976 as the permanent musical guest on the fifth season of The Two Ronnies. She was on every single episode, David. Wow, yeah, yeah. Patty Boulay got no fucking luck in that, that time. <laughs> and she'd work with Andrew Lloyd Webber on the concept album Evita as Juan Peron's bit on the side, resulting in another suitcase in another hall getting to number 11. 11 in March of 1977.
1: To me. I think we need a little sunshine in our lives, right? And here's the sunshine sound of OC Visa and Sunshine Day.
2: Finally flanked by two ladies, one black, one white, who both look as if they've come straight from the typing pool, declares that we all need a little sunshine in our lives. Oh, David, you don't know the fucking half of what's coming to you, mate. <laughs> he introduces Sunshine Day by Ossie Bisa. Formed in London in 1969 by a collective of African and Caribbean musicians, Ossie Bisa got their name from the Fanti word for high life. They spent the early 70s recording six LPs, becoming a regular on festival circuits all over the world, but they never troubled the charts in the UK until this single, taken from the 1975 LP, Welcome Home, was put out. And it's a new entry this week at number 23. Now, first question, Africans in the charts really didn't get any in the 70s. Yeah. I Why mean- is that?
4: It's, you know, I mean, reggae, or some, something something reggae or pre-reggae or reggae like mm. it used to be, it always been kind of a factor. But, um, and even this, I mean, it's not really, it's not exactly Afrobeat, no. is it? It's not Felakutia. I mean, you know, if you actually listen you know, musically, I mean, this could be Barbara Dixon doing an upbeat number. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's actually sort of, it doesn't, you know, I mean obviously in terms of like, you know, the shirts, you know, and across the top, I mean, it's got a kind of African number. So I don't even feel that like, this counts. maybe, because I think it's fundamentally, it was just a sort of, in terms of like a kind of rhythm to have to kind of digest and get to yeah. grips with, you know, it was perhaps just simply sort of not, you know, pop-pop friendly, you know, in the way that reggae, also another, you know, an alternative rhythm to get to grips with, was. So, yeah. Um,
2: because the know. African influence didn't really come in until the early 80s with the likes of uh, Adam and the Ants and, uh, and Type fit and and all that kind of stuff, Baltimora. Yeah.
4: <laughs> with them yeah, electronic yeah. elephants. Well, yeah, they took the Burundi beat. I mean, Joni Mitchell had actually done that by this point as well. Of on, course she had, the yes, his um, summer lawns. Yeah, that's right. But um, It wasn't
2: like there weren't any African people about, because when yeah. I was at um, infant school in, in Ice and Green a year or so before, we got took out on a school trip to um, an, an African centre, and there was loads of African people there with Moo Moo's and they, they showed us a straw hut and they showed us a few picture of elephants and the let us have a go on some bongos. And then we all did some African dancing and I thought, oh, this is fucking brilliant. These people, you know, and uh, we got on the bus back and, you know, it wasn't a coach. It was just a, a regular bus mm-hmm. and we're all sat on the top deck. And we see these African blokes with the moo walking across the street, and it's like, oh, we're waving at them and everything. Um, they totally ignored us and went straight into the pub. <laughs> I think a little part of me actually thought we'd actually taken a bus to Africa. Now, <laughs> now nah, come to yeah. think of
4: it. Oh, that's wonderful. wasn't too far away. Yeah. I mean, you've got to remember that yeah. um, we were just, you know, it's 76, we're still only, remember, you know, there hadn't been black people in, in the UK until 1973 with Errol Brown and Hot Chocolate. So we're still getting used to yeah. Still getting used to black people, you know. And I think that,
0: Derek yeah, Griffiths. well,
4: yes yes, yes, yes. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's... Um, yeah, so I mean, it's, it is if it's Afrobeat, it's Afrobeat, homeopathically watered down. You know this, this track, it's got you know yeah. across the top, you know, and it's got a sense of that kind of otherness, but not at the kind of rhythmical level.
2: Yeah, it sounds it sounds a bit more like war mm.
4: to me, mm.
2: Sarah. Does do anything for you?
3: Well, it's it's definitely the best thing so far by 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 Miles, but yes. that's not necessarily saying uh, saying much. But yeah, I enjoyed it um, to the point uh, where oh yeah, so there's a lot of. Uh, there's an awful lot of mugging going on, but with like such gusto and glee um, on the part of the, yes. uh, the keyboard player is is, is just making uh, making some amazing faces, and the drummer is sort of stand doing the thing, standing up and going, "Hey, look, here I am!" And you know, yeah. there's there's loads of mugging, but the kind of which I approve. Um,
2: yes, some good outfits as well in there.
3: Fantastic outfits. The the, the, the main dude is is, uh, is is sporting a sort of magnificent black and gold cape or possibly poncho, or both. I think it might actually be a sort of yeah. poncho cape hybrid. And uh, it's, it's mm. uh, it's you know, with this incredible gold embroidery on it and just looks just looks absolutely boss. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I enjoy it's
2: it. The keyboard player is the star, though, isn't it? Yeah. What, yeah. A sh- what a shirt. Yeah. It's sort of some yellowy, psychedelic thing. Uh and he's got black and white checkered boots as well.
3: I didn't notice that. Wow, that's that's.
2: Yeah, yeah, they were nice. They were
3: really bringing it. You see, that's how you, you know, if you're you're going to, of course, you're going to dress up because you're going on the telly. You know, that's that is how you do it. Yeah. Um. So I was, yeah, uh, yeah I was, uh, I was a little bit aggrieved when uh, when this was cut short because I was expecting the full performance.
2: Cut very short, wasn't it? was it? cut
3: very short. I was a little bit like. Why, why have you, why have you done that? Is there, what, what, a, you know, is there an, is there an agenda uh, at uh, play here? You know, you immediately, yours, your suspicion yeah. is, 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 is kind of right. And I'm, I'm sure it was just a sort of formatting thing, but it was a little bit like, yeah. are, you, are you being careful not to scare people off with this kind of, uh,
2: yeah. you know, One or two songs get cut very short in yeah, yeah, um, yeah, this yeah, episode. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out at the end, won't we? Yeah. Actually, David, um, the, uh, African music was in the chops, uh
4: in Zaire. Yes, of course, which is around the Ali, Ali Foreman fight, you know. And I think, because, um, I mean, by seven, 75, Muhammad Ali was just this kind of dominant global celebrity. There was another song, wasn't it? Ali, the black Superman. Yeah, do, 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 the black do, Superman, do, do. yes. He was all over the place. He was advertising bird's eye burgers. He was um, doing some bizarre... Um, um, it, it, this bizarre fight with this Japanese wrestler, they had this bout and it was supposed to be yeah, prearranged, Noki, yeah. yeah. And it was just a farce and, um, you know, they, they, they depart, it was supposed to have been scripted and they just departed from the script completely and it was an absolute farce. It was declared yeah. draw at the end. And uh, Well, Noki just laid on the floor right, and kicked yeah, him. Yeah, in terror, yeah. Rubbish. Yeah, it was dreadful. It's dreadful. But... Um, Big Daddy had never had yeah. done that. He have stood his yeah. ground. But that was a strange thing. So african if it did come in, it was sort of via, via Muhammad Ali and the kind of... And, of and white singers. Yeah, yeah. Fixation on Muhammad Ali. So
2: the following week, Sunshine Day jumped six places to number 17, its highest position. The follow-up... Dance the Body Music got to number 31 in June of this year, but it was their last chart hit. But they are still in existence and will celebrate their fiftieth anniversary next year. Right. Good on em.
5: you do. So Great sunshine, <clears throat> sunshine, Samuel, OC Diesel. Hello, bunch of boys from Stockton? who look as they
1: could have a future number one. Slick by name, slick by nature. This is Forever and ever.
2: Diddé, alone once more, introduces us to a band from Scotland who could have a future number one, according to him. That band are Slick, and that song is forever and ever. We've already discussed Slick in Chart Music number 18, and this is their first single to break the charts after their debut release, The Boogiest Band in Town, Failed to Chart. It's a cover of a song written by Bill Martin and Phil Coulter, who penned, remember, Sha La 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 La, Shang-A-Lang, Summer Love Sensation and Saturday Night for the Bay City Rollers and appeared on the band Kenny's 1975 LP The Sound of Super K. It was originally offered to the rollers as a follow-up to give a little love but they knocked it back as they were looking for something more progressive than ever leading Coulter and Martin to part company with the rollers and look for a new band to groom and produce. However, Just like the Rollers, the backing for Forever and Ever has been recorded by session musicians and the lead singer, Miju, is already starting to doubt the wisdom of knocking back the offer to front a new band from London called the Sex Pistols the previous year. However, after entering the charts at number 39 last week, it soared 27 places to number 12. Now, first thing we need to talk about... The Sex Pistols
4: Led by Midgeor. Can can you actually see that? Oh, my God. I mean, punk just wouldn't have happened, would it? I mean, that would have been... What, what an alternative... Um. I actually once wrote I, I wrote a book called January 1975. It's never published. I just found part of the manuscript for it the other days, in which, you know, imagine this is alternative history of punk and Thatcherism had never happened. And right. I think that um, if Midgeor had um, led the Sex Pistols, then, yeah, I think punk might well not have happened. Uh, that's a horrifying yeah. thought. What would he have called himself? I don't know, it's, it's like midgey Minja or something M- like that. <laughs> <laughs> midge, midge Mucky. Um, yeah. <laughs> midge, or Man Ure or something. Yeah, Ure. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I know you are, <laughs> but what am I? <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> oh my God, oh, that's, what a thought. I mean, he's kind of a, just a perennial bandwagon jumper, wasn't he mid-year? I mean, first of all, mm. you know, Slick, the Bay City Rollers bandwagon. Then the rich kids, you know, and his kind yeah. of the punk thing. And then, of course, you know, Ultravox after John Vox left, you know, coming in doing the kind yeah. of the Thin Lizzy
2: before that for
4: a bit. Yeah. yeah.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European Linen
1: Yeah,
4: it's, it's, um, yeah, but there's always a certain ureness about everything that he's kind of involved in. (laughs) And, you know, and this is, this is just, and this is Bay City without the role, really, isn't it? It's got like, it just plods like a sort of very late John Lennon track, you know, in this kind of, um, but it is interesting. The only interesting thing is actually, he is actually looking quite kind of modernistic and sort of like in, in the way that he looks. And people were beginning to get away from the kind of, I mean, some of the collars could still take your eyes out, but sort of yeah. trousers are beginning to get a bit tapered. Hair is just getting that bit shorter. And it's mm. as people are still, you know, it's, it's all pre punk, but it's very much sort of post glam, post sort of spangly post flares you know in terms of the look mm. certainly in Britain at any at any rate um
3: it's kind of basic city rollers isn't it I guess mm. um, uh, very good but yeah it's um hey that's what I'm here for um yeah it's just the the, the kind of inter <laughs> I know I always I always put things through this this filter of creepiness but it's it's a bit creepy. Just put, you know, this is sort of um, the the intro to this, and obviously it, it being being a, an old song, it is a bit of a, 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 a bit of a throwback. Um, just kind of bong, these kind of very portentous bells, yeah. and it's like, um, hang on, what's the what's the o- described by
2: Taylor in an earlier episode as monk rock.
3: But I know, but what's his what's his game though? Again, staring directly into the camera in a way that is that is faintly, yes. faintly unsettling, yeah. and and saying, as it was in the beginning, so it must be in the end. Don't let a lover yeah. become just a friend. It's like, ah! Yeah. You know, that. that's... <laughs> what are you going to... And then, you know, he, he doesn't quite follow through on this, but it is... You know, like, there's so many songs that seem to be romantic and then when you actually take a second look at them, they're just about stalkers going, I'm going to stalk you, you're getting stalked, there's nothing you can do about it. And this is quite, you know, the lyrics of this are quite quite disturbing. It's kind of like, you know, love will last forever or else.
4: Yes. Mm. (laughs) It's very much the male gaze, isn't it? And quite literally in this
3: respect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, are not a, not an especially threatening man, but uh, I suppose, no. but of course, men don't have to be sort of physically threatened. some Sometimes the most dangerous ones are actually quite, they, they look quite inoffensive at, at first glance. And then it's like, but, but it's like they will not, you know, well, I'm leaving now. I, I don't think so. So, mm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Sorry. You see how how did, you're just getting insight to how kind of depressing it is to be to be a lady sometimes. Oh. But you know, you have to hand it to Mid-year, Uh That, like you said, there is this kind of naked opportunism of just kind of you know trying one thing and then another before settling on something. Which, which I I kind of you know I have a degree of respect for that. It's um, you know he's he's kind of trying to find find his oeuvre, and uh, I quite. I quite like the, um, yes, just the sheer intensity. He's there kind of hugging his guitar neck against his face. And, um, you know, but yeah, it is uh, men. Uh, it sounds like, you know, men giving other men romantic advice generally never ends well. But, um, <laughs> uh I mean, yeah. this is
2: an obvious attempt by uh, Phil Coulter and Bill Martin to create the new rollers. Mm. At this point in time, it's looking very successful, isn't it? Why didn't it work? Um. Two words,
4: Al. Jolly rotten. Is it because Majora is no Les McEwan? Mm. Yeah, I think this is it. It's this Uranus, as I say, that just comes back. I mean, it probably, I mean, it seems to have, although it kind of worked, obviously, with Ultravox, you know, maybe that kind of sort of sullen intensity was more suited to synth pop. But, but no, I think if it's, if you know, it, you, there was never a slick mania. You're not going to kind of, you know, have Giles cartoons about sort of, you know, there's slick concerts and sort of like, you know, CD bottles and no. sort of police grumbling to each other and the helmets are askew and what have you. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just going to happen. It's just that the, the, the buzz just isn't yeah. there.
2: I mean, the, their their look, the look they've gone for is old school, kind of like late 50s, early 60s mm. baseball mm. shirts. Mm. And, you know, they're supposed to be this kind of like Hell's Kitchen street gang or something like that. Well, you know, how can how can young teenage girls make... A, an old school baseball shirt yeah yeah you know how hard is that going to be in
4: comparison to getting the mum to put a little bit of tartan down the trouser legs yeah they look like time travelers from a kevin costner movie actually don't they it's uh it's very odd yes. look
3: uh, yeah it's um, it, it's also a little bit uh it, it, you know harking back to uh Chart music 28 again which was uh where we had the Friends theme, "I'll Be There for You," and I said, "This is a kind of like the Friends theme in Hell." <laughs> it's like if Friends were set in, in you know, in in a in an apartment owned by Satan. This is how it would, you know. It's just it's quite a creepy mm. romantic tune.
2: And it's essentially glam rock slowed right down, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you've put this on your record player and turned it up to seventy-eight, you'd have a, a pretty decent Wombles B-side. Yeah, you know, it's
4: got that do do that that kind of thing. Mm. If you turned it down to thirty-three or even seventeen, do you remember the seventeen setting that was exclusive for yeah. the um raw uh, we have Yeah, We had sixteen and a half, I think. Or something like that, yeah. There are thereabouts, yeah. I mean then you'd have a sort of very decent Joy Division V side, maybe. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh damn you forty five RPM. <laughs> so is there anything else to say about this? At this
3: point um I'm getting uh I'm I'm wondering when the first person to mouth help me into the camera is going to be these people just <laughs> looking so uncomfortable, yeah. like look into the camera, do it
2: Yeah, they're are they blinking in Morse code or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the following week forever and ever rocketed 10 places to number 2 stayed there for 2 weeks and then knocked Mamma Mia by Abba off the top spot and stayed there for a week before being usurped by December 63 by the 4 seasons see kids it does get better the follow up Requiem got to number 24 in May of this year their only other hit which Taylor pretty much Murdered in a previous episode of Chart Music. (laughs)
1: was slick and forever and ever here are some young ladies i've admired many times in my little armchair at home i've admired their grace and beauty of movement and i can promise you that in the flesh they're even lovelier pans people dancing to this week to paul davison's midnight rider
2: Crumpet time, eh? Oh, yes. it points out that he's been sitting at home and lusting after pan's people for years now and he's finally got to meet them in the flesh. Oh, it's
4: disgusting. And that. now
2: he's made it to Top of the Pops. He can confirm that they're just as lovely as you think mm. they are as he introduces them Ooh. dancing to Midnight Rider by Paul Donaldson. Born in Jamaica, year unknown, sorry about that, Paul Davidson was a white reggae singer and harmonica player who specialised in session work and whose only previous release was an LP loaded with Beatles covers. Then in 1975, he recorded this version of the 1973 Allman Brothers song, which was recorded in Harry J. Studios the previous year and produced by Pluto Shervington. After selling steadily in UK Specialist Reggae Shops, it's crossed over into the charts and it's leapt up this week from number 25 to number 10. And Pan's people are on hands to emote to it. And oh my, what a performance this is. Blimey. Mm. Where do we start? Who wants to start with this? Sarah, uh, come on. The
3: three main moves here, as uh, as you will observe, are the horsey horsey. Um, the, yes,
2: horsey, horsey, don't you stop the
3: choo-choo train, and uh, of course that old standard, yes. the money maker. Oh, and sorry, and also Ooh. kind of garnished with a little uh, cowboy six shooter as well, um, as as is appropriate. Yeah. Obviously, you, there's there's you know, they the pants people really had to. Um, you know, it was kind of abstract signage, wasn't it? It was, uh instead of, you know, if you didn't have somebody signing, you would have pan's people to kind of give give you, you know, yes. give uh, the hearing impaired a, a, a flavour of, of the lyrics of the song. If
2: only they did that now. <sighs> wouldn't that be fucking brilliant? Like on Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> have you ever seen Jeremy Kyle with someone in the corner signing it? It's Fucking brilliant. Oh, no, it's so good. <laughs> they have to um, sort of sign out, um, you used a Toffee Crisp wrapper as a Johnny and stuff <laughs> like
3: that. <laughs> you can see that. <laughs> it's and they And they love it as well. Imagine that being your job. It would be fucking amazing. I'd be very, you know, I can't imagine how hard yeah. it is, but just amazing. There's a woman as well oh. at the moment. I've seen clips of who, who kind of signs at hip hop shows. Did we talk about this last time?
2: No, we didn't. No, but but yeah, she's fucking amazing. Oh, she's superb. Yeah,
4: I've seen her do public anime. And
3: and just yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. they they have you know there are. This is a thing now that is happening at, at sort of pop shows as well. But yeah, pop and hip hop. And I think yeah. it's this, there's this one woman who does it, and oh, it's so good. And you just what you know, you just watch her because she's getting so into it.
2: Mm-hmm. And the, and the a really ironic thing is the only Public Enemy song that she can't do any signing to because it's an instrumental is Terminator X talks with his hands. Ah. ah. I, I, Feel the irony. The irony.
3: irony. Um, but, yeah, so Pan's mm. People, good Lord. Uh, I, I say this as a... Yes, like, <laughs> yes. I don't, yeah. Yes. Obviously, I kind of yes. curled my lip a bit. It's like, oh, I've been admiring these ladies from the comfort of my armchair. And I was like yes oh, did he come on um, oh, yeah. but yeah. from his
2: little armchair from his,
3: you know just sitting there with with a you know a glass of something oh, I could
2: just see him in this tiny little armchair with his legs all splayed out and his arms hanging over oh, the side you know however possibly not hanging over the side actually however, yeah. Yeah. I did I
3: did also myself on this occasion uh, enjoy their their what did he say their grace and beautiful movement. And and my he- yes. my heterosexuality slid another few points. What what am I gonna say? It's you know <laughs> they're they're fucking hot, you know. And they've got they've got tiny they they've got tiny um you know they've got they've got tiny starry pants on and kind of sequin tops and yeah. cowboy hats, and they're
2: essentially the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders made out of quality street rappers, aren't they?
3: Yes, they are. Yeah, exactly. And oh, so that's the thing is, I do have to. Oh, and I'd love to unwrap them. But, but I have to, you know, I, I do have to. I can, I can sit here and go, how disgusting. And you objectify women all the time. Um, but then I also have to acknowledge that women are sexy and I, I yeah. like looking at them. And so I understand that, you know, it must be quite difficult for men to have to, 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 have to kind of rein, rein in the drool and go, well, you can't do that. These are human beings, et cetera. But that's the point. This is the clearly the point of Pans people. I just can't believe that. I, I, yeah. I can't believe how, se- how how, sexy this is. Like how they were, you know, yeah. you could just have that. So what, what time, what time was this going out? You know, seven, half seven or eight or whatever. This and this would have been about, ooh, about quarter to eight. It's, it's rude. It's rude. I mean I I can't I can't imagine uh... what it must be like, you know, for a sort of uh, the the, the... You know, it, this is just kind of, it launched a thousand kind of sexual awakenings. Yeah.
2: I mean, you've, you mentioned a lot of their dance moves, Sarah. I want to chuck in that there's, yeah, uh, we, we get, to, we get a lot of arse work. A lot of arse work. A lot of furtive looking about for the house on their trail. And yes, the pretend pony riding was, uh, was immaculate. The,
3: the, the horsey horsey, as, as I'm now going to call it forever, does give me a little bit. There's something about that that, that's quicks me out slightly because it's that kind of, it's that childishness it's whenever you get yes. that sort of like women kind of doing a uh, doing doing a sort of kid move always makes you go mm but um you know in a way that just a simple ass shake doesn't because that's an appropriate yeah. adult thing so i think there's there's a little there's yeah. a few kind of you know things being wired together that probably shouldn't be in in that you know and it because it's not yeah, yeah. but um but yeah, they they do obviously they do it very well.
2: I don't want to pick out individuals, but Dee Dee, mm. the face on her, is fucking brilliant. You can always tell when they're dancing to a song they like, and she is just gurning <laughs> next to this song. So she
3: got married to to um, you know Ken Ken Dodd's silly nephew.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. What
3: what is it? It's ridiculous. So, isn't what it? is it about men punching so far above did their they, weight? Did they meet? At this that show? they must. Yeah. He would have had to get on yeah. a No, no, that's not fair. Actually, I, I, I um, That's that's really not fair. But oh. come on. <laughs> Do
4: you think
2: he offered to uh, offered a lock on his organ? Or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
4: Very good, very good. I mean, I've talked in the past yes, about the are. kind of s- sexless sexism, as it were, about trans people. people. Yes. There is something kind of, as if they are observing, you know, they're kind of blatantly objectified, they're condescended to, they're leered at or whatever, but the actual routines must have actually been a sort of, Raunchness, you know, there's a raunchnessness about them, as if they have to observe a strict BBC code about the kind of movements that they're allowed to sort of make. But yeah. this definitely is a dis- is distinctly raunchier than oh. some of their kind of previous performance. I mean, this is David, not get do down like by- we're not we're a long way from get down. Gilbert O'Sullivan here yeah. and like the kind of the literal interpretations. I mean, you know, they are definitely a little bit. You know, in this performance, they are really kind of pushing it a little bit. Um, mm. um It's and and yeah, they, they are kind of enjoying them. So it's funny, you know, like that bit when David Hamilton says, uh, "I can promise you that in their flesh they're even lovelier." I mean, yes, my toes curled, you know, like yours did. Mm. Don't me think though, I. Everything about whenever you see Pans people interviewed or whatever on those retro shows, whatever I Heart nineteen seventy four or whatever, they do seem like genuinely lovely people. Mm. They, you know, had to put up with all of that kind <laughs> of hope, you know, that, that awful sort of leering condescension throughout their career. Probably, you know, and it's probably pretty hard work being a Pans person or whatever. You know, those yeah. quick sort of turnarounds. Flip Colby was probably not. I don't. I can imagine have been a bit of a martian. I don't know. Maybe that's not fair. Um I'm sure that they extract a lot of fun from it in a very proud and pleased about what they did but they seemed like really nice people if you're going to sort of go and have a drink with something like with you know you'd much rather it be with of all the people involved in say Top of the Pops you would much rather it be a drink with the former pans people than say a bunch of the old DJs of their era mm. and what a kind of twisted lecherous sort of horrible embittered you know it's the Simon Bates is the Noel Edmonds or whatever <laughs> you know who would you rather have a drink with you know the, the, the mail house or pans people and it's pans people by just such mm. a massively long story yeah
3: and as I've as i have wanged on about before you can't necessarily it can be quite patronizing to assume exploitation or assume discomfort on the part it's like that was a job it's better than stacking shelves um you know and and they probably Mm. look back on it with pride um yeah i'm sure it was a good incredibly hard job but um you know they uh they're they're kind of yeah and they ended up just being this kind of institution it's uh but one one odd Mm. thing What what a strange thing when you think about it. It's like yeah, we're gonna have we're just gonna have some women caper about now for uh, you know because we. um, I mean, I suppose it's quite a standard thing, you know, women women dancing and being nice to look at. But it's it does look now. I never get over it, like how kind of how kind of odd it looks in the middle of everything else on top of the pops.
2: The song, I fucking love this song, man. (laughs) It might just be my favourite song that I've heard on chart music so far. I've had I've had this in my life for decades my next door neighbor john flynn i've talked about him before i'll, I'll talk about him again he was a a, a doler even in the mid 70s but he also had a mobile disco on the side he had a uh he had a white <laughs> transit van with uh with john flynn's mobile disco on it and i think i've mentioned this before but for years and years and years i assume he, he just went out in his van with a turntable in the passenger seat and all these people were being thrown about in the back of the transit van while they were trying to dance and being hit in the head with a glitter ball um, <laughs> during the summer and even when it wasn't the summer but when it wasn't raining he would get his sound system out and blast non-stop judge dread and reggae he fucking loved his reggae so all the kids would be hanging around over the bars of the choppers and everything, just pissing themselves laughing at, up with the cock and, and you know, big seven and all that kind of stuff. The other thing about John Flynn was, while he was doing this mobile disco thing and everything, he was also knocking off the woman next door and we knew absolutely nothing about it until they had a big falling out and one day he got his sound system out and he just played records and got the microphone in and broadcast to the entire estate what him and her have been getting up to. <laughs> I missed this. I missed this because I was around my non uh, It was during the school holidays. Mm. But the repercussions. Oh, ho, ho. her son who was in the army came on back off leave and they had this amazing fucking series of fights in the street. Oof. Oh God, it was glorious. <laughs> it was just proper old school bundling of the highest quality. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that you could see the whole street just looking out the windows with, you know. With packets of crisps in the hands, and there was one bloke who actually got his tea out and put it on the window ledge and was eating it while he was watching this fight. Wow. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant.
3: That's kind of a, a great British tradition that has been lost now, isn't it? Because you know, if you see a fight, you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. It's um, like really? I did. I'm, I'm just trying to think. Like, have I seen something like that in my lifetime? Which is sort of a, a, a fight that that you're not really worried is going to turn nasty. Um, but it, it's you know, no. I did see a woman this a few years ago um i saw a woman and and a bloke having a blazing row and the woman picked up and wielded a bin at him wow like an empty bin but still she was going to you know
2: wheelie bin obviously like a
3: like like a sort of a, a large trash can you know so not like an entire wheelie oh, bin right. but like a big you know like a big black kind of trash can um yeah, and, nice. and kind of held it over her head and I thought she was going to wang it at him and she didn't, but I was really impressed with it. Ugh. I almost went up and was like, <laughs> actually, I checked that she was okay because then, you know, it's like, it's, uh, what's what's yeah. going on here? But I think she she probably would have won, to
2: be honest. Kind of ended badly for Ode Flinner. He um he, he got a terminal, he, he just went batcher and he, he ended up with a terminal illness and the last time anyone saw him, he went to the local garage and he bought, every single bunch of flowers in it. it must have cost him a fortune and he went round to all the women on the street and knocked on the door gave them a bunch of flowers and said i'm i'm, I'm really sorry if i was there ever any trouble to you while i lived around here
3: oh my god oh yeah. are you
2: kidding mm, what beautiful. no yeah
3: fuck what so he went and mm. like a yeah. for everything he'd ever done he just tried to man yeah. lot. why would you why would you tell us mm. this Oh my God!
2: Well, because mm. it's the rich tapestry of life, and that song's reminded mm. me of it. Oh. So you know,
4: yeah, the power of music. Oh. Man. In terms of in terms of mass brawls, the only one I ever saw, and it was it was at, it was a Melody Maker, and the officers at Melody Maker were on High Holborn, opposite the Shaftesbury Theatre, <laughs> very nearby, was um, Saint Mungo's, which is like you know where a lot of you know, homeless people, whatever you know, stayed mm. or there, and and there was a sort of traffic island directly opposite the window. And I I hesitate to tell, it's almost like chortling at the homeless, but it was, but there was this mass brawl that broke out that lasted fully an hour. Fuck. And. Everybody just sort of, like, put down, stop what they were doing, is, and, and just went out to the window, and just, we just watched in awe. It was like a kind of mobile, moving, Broygillian spectacle <laughs> of just, like, you know, I mean, no one was really hurting each other, you know, it was all that kind of, you know, people were just sort of wailing other. But it went on for an hour, you know, it subsided, and then it kind of, like, picked up again, and there were kind of individual micro-fighting <laughs> going on the whole time and it was and it was just a mag I wish I truly wish I'd been able to record it because it was just the most mag it wasn't it's <laughs> awesome spectacle people kind of making up and like you know best pal and they start fighting again <laughs> um I I you know it's as you, know, you know we should have had a whip round and gone round and give them a 10 yeah. actually is that's pretty mean actually not to you know because it was just an afternoon's magnificent entertainment um, yeah, I feel really bad about it Yeah, why don't we We've got a round, you know And keep going out and pay them else. So yeah, I feel bad about that actually yeah. But it was magnificent My
2: definition of a good mass brawl Is that when you see the video footage of it If it goes really well to the theme tune to Pop Black Then mm. it's up there <laughs> Yeah, yeah Seriously, Pop Black <laughs> is the best mass brawl music ever <laughs> Try it out, kids. Yeah. Go on, go, go on. Find find mm. some video people fighting, and then open up another tab and put on the the theme tune to uh, mm. Pop Black. Splendid evenings <laughs> entertainment that is.
4: This is the mother of all digressions. This one <laughs> It is,
2: but fuck <laughs> it, that's what we do. <laughs> mm. But this is one song he played all the time, and I fucking loved it then. and I love it now. Yeah, yeah. I hate the original. Willie Nelson did a cover, and I hate that as well. This has got no right to be as brilliant as it is, but it just
4: fucking is. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I. You know what? I, I I was listening to charts pretty closely at the time, and yet this this completely passed me by at the time. Yeah. So it's actually a revelation to it. It's, you know, I mean, you know, this Glenn Campbell meets Bob Marley thing. It was, um, um yeah, it, it 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 does work. Um, because I actually had to go back and listen to it twice because you know who can listen to the record with that marvelous display of crumpet yes oh. totty <laughs> but um no I'm, yeah i, I, mean, I, exactly, I did not really proper notes in it but it's um yeah it's it's yeah it's definitely a standout tune in um what was so far been a bit of a lackluster musical selection definitely
2: it, oh it's the highlight of the show by by mm. long chalk the mm. thing that really fucks me off it gets cut short again right through that guitar solo that i fucking love because this this was i think this was around the time that bob marley had got uh was he called junior marvin the uh american guitarist to do a few rock licks over his tunes and that and it it just works but this this is better than anything bob marley was doing in that style you know with with, Mm. with the rock licks Mm-hmm. and and it's yeah it's fucking amazing it's one of the i, I do believe it's one of the greatest pop reggae songs ever mm. fair and of course the other thing the other thing great thing about it it reminds me of the uh, the wrestler the midnight rider who was dusty Rhodes, who uh, was um, was banned from uh, uh, from working in his federation for, uh, for, for, for for i don't know branding someone or or doing something naughty and he came back as the Midnight Rider and he just had the same ridiculous southern accent. And he was still a big fat fucker, but he just had a mask over him. And everyone else, all the baddies were going, oh, that's Dusty Rhodes, that's Dusty Rhodes. And it's like, no, he's, he's the Midnight Rider. He can't be. How can it be Dusty Rhodes? He's, he's got a mask on. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that makes me love this song even more as well. So, yes, well done, everybody involved in this record. And a special well done to Pants people. Wow. Superior ass work, ladies. You are. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is um, they're doing it under a blood moon, which was uh, is is quite apt. It's only fucking blood moon we got to see that fucking weekend, wasn't it? <laughs> so the following uh, week, Midnight Rider dropped down to number twelve, stupid British cunts, and the follow-up, a reggae cover of Glen Campbell's "Rhinestone Cowboy," failed to chart. and... Yeah, not as good at all, to be honest. However, he earned enough money from the record to open up his own studio in Kingston and a week later, Midnight Rider became the first ever number one single in the first ever UK reggae chart.
1: about a naughty lady, an evil woman, and it comes to you from the Electric Light Orchestra. Hey
5: well, you got the blues, cause you ain't got no one else
2: to do. As we crash immediately into the next song, Did tells us that it's about a naughty lady (laughs) an evil woman and it comes to you from the electric light orchestra sarah stepping back
3: naughty lady would be a better type like why isn't that you know there really should be a song called naughty lady shouldn't there there must be there must be probably
2: an instrumental or something
3: i love that that's that he makes that that's like the equivalent you know it's like a naughty lady and or an evil woman Like, you know, yeah. that's, they're quite...
2: I th- it's like, was, was he sat at home watching the news about Myra Hindley and going, oh, she's a naughty lady?
3: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, God... Hmm. what Beverly Alex killed all
2: those kids. What a naughty lady.
3: <laughs> what a, yeah, what a, a slightly uh, a, a misbegotten strumpet. Um, yeah, um, mm. it's, it's, um, I I don't, I don't hate ELO. I think that's sort of the musical equivalent yeah. of a Werther's original it's like they they're quite you know there's just um
2: hello simon
3: <laughs> there's a, a a slightly stuffy but you know creamy comforting sound that they have um yeah i what the my first thing that i noticed about this is the cellist sitting on a sort of snazzy shooting stick
2: i think he is you know that's
3: that's i am I'm, I'm slightly worried about the kind of health and safety implications of this because you know you you're, you're going to like how many um you know what what kind of feat of concentration is that? Trying to you know, um, yeah. couldn't they get him a chair? Like he's
2: did he want? He's a, a jealous. Chair?
3: He spent years um, you know learning this 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 complex instrument and honing and a craft. Get him a fucking stool to sit on for Christ's sakes! He shouldn't yeah. have
2: to. I mean, it's a metal thing and it does look like a stool, but it's at a really weird it's, angle. It's isn't a shooting it? stick. It's like when you know when you're at school and you lean back and you and your mates see how far you can lean back without falling over and banging your head. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's that kind of thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um but yes, um and Jeff Lynn, as you pointed out, um not not wearing his not wearing his shades. It's um it's the thing is like oh, I can't yeah. there is a picture of a dog on the internet that looks like Jeff Lynn, so now whenever I see Jeff Lynn I just always yes, think of that is. lovely <laughs> some sort of poodle cross like everything is now. Um with, with
2: In double denim.
3: Yeah, in double denim, yeah. Um so yeah, I don't um <laughs> I don't hate this. I there are some bands who I don't hate And it's partly because um, I I enjoy, like, the spitting fury of of other people who really hate them, and it's just like, I don't mind it. (laughs) I'm
4: afraid (laughs) it. Talking of which, David? Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, first of all, I mean, it's the sequencing is interesting. You know, you can just imagine yeah. something like my granddad in you know, old Seven Days Jankers, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> sitting <laughs> through St. <laughs> <sat> pan's <laughs> People, whatever, and stirred in all kinds of unfamiliar, disconcerted ways, you know, as they really push back the envelope of raunch.
5: Mm. With and their then this comes up.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, then the next thing, we're, we're, you know, we're back down into the world of the evil woman. And I'm going, yeah, that's right bloody yeah. strumpets a lot of them down to their knickers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a sort of you know it's almost some sort of like counter reaction to misogyny you know after this kind of after, after having been kind of you know led astray at the loins you know by by the previous one so it's an interesting bit of sequence in there you know mm. the um, I mean, you could. I mean, it has to be evil you woman. Know, this is the trouble with the word woman, isn't it? This is a classic example of woman's and pejorative. It was, you know, if Cliff Richard recorded Devil Lady, it wouldn't have had the same no. impact. So, I mean, yeah, me and Pricey are often having kind of, we often exchange words about ELO because, you know, he thinks they are, you know, a banger machine, as it were. And um, <laughs> um, I'm not really, you know, apart from the fact that the drum was a Tory, Bev Bevan, um never endeared me to them. But it was also, to be honest, we were, it was the, the sub's Wars in the 70s, the late 70s, um, uh, my brother was a big ELO fan and was yeah. only one record player, and I wanted to put on like Stevie Wonder. I wanted to put on Faust and Sun Ra, and he was always kind of coming in with his bloody out of the blue by ELO. So I think I kind of built up a resentment from that. I mean, it was a very competitive household was ours. I mean, my two younger brothers, my God. I mean, you know, this is the sort of the, the, the sort of things that would happen on a daily basis, you know. Um like one time they're coming in from school and they both got the co- the coach back from the comprehensive school and you know, Boston Spa and and they both knew there was a tin of peaches waiting for them in the larder. And they both <laughs> desperately want that tin of peaches. So they come like, like you know, like sort of coming, rushing around the corner, you know, like neck and neck, you know, struggling in the door, you know, like piling into the kitchen. My brother Nick manages to get the tin of peaches first, right? My brother Tony is having none of it. So he grabs a golf club, whacks him around the head with it. Fuck! <laughs> know. You know, it's just one of those cartoon things where, you know, like um, bottom, you know, where the, these extraordinary acts of violence have no consequences. <laughs> you know, the tussle for the peaches goes on. That you know, it, that, that that was the kind of rivalry, you know, like, like you know, yeah. for space. I mean, and that's like last that's t- what it's going to be yeah. in Tesco's when Brexit kicks in, everyone. Absolutely. I remember Get 1980 club hand, eh? exactly, and 19, 1980 one time, and I was just about to watch Alan Wells um, in the in, in the Olympics 200 meters, and my brother was back was slow for his paper round. And he was ringing at the door, and you know, the race is about to start. He's like, fuck off, he should have got here earlier. And he's ringing because he's desperate to see it as well. And then there's a false start, you know, so Emil's going to go and open the door and he says, Why didn't you open the door? Waxley punches me full in the face. Oh, I punch man. him fucking full in the face. And then we sit down, sort of small room. That's the last fist fight I've had, basically, you know, full punched in the face. You know, that's, uh, we got on great now. We all get on great. We're lovely, lovely lads.
2: Yeah, sound it.
4: Mm, but yeah, the ELO wars were, um, you know, they were pretty bitter and you know, borderline <laughs> violent. So, um, you know, I'm afraid that probably sort of does tarnish my view of them. Also, that John Lennon once said, and I think they said that John Lennon once said about the Beatles, he said if the Beatles had carried on, they'd be like ELO. And I think Jeff leaned into it as a compliment, but I always read it as him mm. saying, like, you know, that's why we knocked it on the head. We didn't want to end up like that. <laughs> well, seeing as Simon's not here, I'm going to take
2: up for him because this song's fucking brilliant to my mind. Yeah, I like this. And I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not the world's biggest ALO head at all. But I, I do love this song, and I, I think I would have loved it more if I'd have seen a video or Pants People being a bit evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, that that's what it needed. It didn't need Puffy eyed Jeff and his trampy mates. There's,
3: there's a fun that
2: sitting on <laughs> sticks. It needed, it needed, it needed satanic puns people action I think
3: yeah, yeah and also there's there's a there's a, a really uh, pleasing dissonance uh between you know the concept of of an evil woman and the way that they this kind of very mild-mannered way in which she's an evil woman it's so sweet and not and it's like yeah. how, you know it, you, you do wonder how how it probably doesn't take a lot of evil to to make them kind of, oh oh no she's not very nice you know, uh, she's probably she's probably not that yeah, evil.
2: Hit me sunglasses again. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So no, it is no. I, I. No, this is a good tune.
2: I'm just checking the I lyrics to see what what evil she gets up to.
3: Yeah, where is she? So if on the spectrum, on the spectrum between naughty lady and evil woman, you destroyed all you the know. virtues
2: that the Lord gave you. Good God, that, that, basically that, skanked him uh, for his money. You know, buying her
4: shoes and all that kind of stuff. She
3: doesn't owe him anything.
4: Now he's got no money. She's fucked off. You destroyed all the virtues the Lord gave. That sounds like Gladstone dressing down a prostitute, doesn't it? <laughs> yes,
3: yes, it really yeah, does, Jeff, doesn't it? Come on, man. This is a bit. You know, hey, why don't you put? You know, I've bought you. I, I got you a nice steak, steak dinner. Now, why don't you put out?
2: Yeah. You know? Gullible man. That's what the song should be <laughs> in <isn't> it. <laughs> So the following week, Evil Woman jumped four places to number 10, its highest position. The follow-up, Night Rider, failed to chart and they'd have to wait until the end of the year for their next big hit, Living Thing. It's another, That's another banger that is.
1: The Electric Light Orchestra Imagine if they got together With 5,000 volts. What a record that would be Actually, here's David Ruffin And a clip from The American version Of Soul Train And Walk Away From Love It's not that I don't love you You know how much I do
5: <laughs> And it's not that I found someone
1: To take the place of you
2: Did it? Surrounded by two women with wavy blonde hair and matching denim waistcoats, make some crappy electricity-related joke before introducing a clip from the American version of Soul Train, as opposed to the Albanian version or the Welsh one. It's Walk Away From Love by David Ruffin. Born in Why Not, Mississippi in 1941, David Ruffin was a member of a family gospel group before he left home at the age of 15 and moved to Arkansas and started singing with the Soul Stirrers and the Dixie Hummingbirds. A year later, he joined his brother Jimmy in Detroit, working for Ford and recording for local labels until he moved in with Barry Gordy's dad and helped to build Hitsville, USA, the Motown headquarters. In 1964, he became a member of the Temptations, originally as a backing singer, but when Smokey Robinson was contracted as a songwriter, he put Ruff in front and centre for the single My Girl, which got to number one in America in March of 1965. After that, he became the official face of The Temptations, but by 1967 he developed a cocaine habit, started missing gigs, demanded that he should get a name credit, a la Diana Ross and the Supremes, started to hassle Motown for a full accounting of their finances, and demanded his own fur-lined limo so he could travel alone to gigs. After he skipped a concert in 1968 to watch a performance by his latest girlfriend, Dean Martin's daughter, Ruffin was sacked by the band, but he would still turn up at gigs, jump up on stage, take the mic from his replacement, Dennis Edwards, and steal the show. This led to him being reinstated to the group, but when he didn't bother to show up for his comeback gig, they knobbed him off for good. This led to a round of suing and counter suing between Ruffin and Motown, which led to him staying on the label and beginning a solo career in 1969 which led to him becoming a regular fixture on the US R&B charts, but he had no luck at all in the UK until now. This single, the follow-up to Superstar, Remember How You Got Where You Are, which did nothing here in 1975, was produced by Van McCoy, who got to number three with Do The Hustle in July of last year, has got to number nine in America, and has become his first number one on the US R&B charts. And it's a new entry this week at number 29. And we're treated to a clip of him performing it on Soul Train, the American version.
4: Yeah, I mean, my heart leapt, you know, when I saw it was going to be a Soul Train clip. I mean, um, when those became widely available on YouTube. I mean, I just gobbled them up. And yeah. Um, it's just the sort of the magnet, it's just the audiences, you know, and it's just the sort of magnificent contrast between the audiences at the top of the pops so that just like these kind of sad, red-faced little, you know, sort of oh, drones James. who've been busting under sufferance, you know, who just kind of move with this kind of Mogadon resentment. And then you just got the kind of the moves busted by everybody in the crowd mm. at Soul Train. It's magnificent. I may be wrong, but is that it may or may not be. Is that Shirley Watley down at the front as well? In the Could North well city? be. Because she was one really? of the great sort of yeah, and she started very young dancing on Soul Train. Yes, and it might. She might just be in there at the front, or it's somebody who looks very similar to how she would have looked at that time, definitely. Mm. And you know, you know, like you know, dancing particularly. Finally, um, David Ruffin. I mean, you know, yeah, magnificent voice, but what a tit of a man.
3: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna that's a. Uh... That's a hell of a story arc, isn't it? The, um, mm. you know, mm. that's some of the most cocaine stuff I've ever heard. That that kind of uh, that 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 kind of, like you know, the fur lined limo and and the cocaine mm. and the grabbing the microphone off your replacement yeah. and and the more cocaine. That's just you know, yeah. How much more cocaine could that be? Um, <laughs> but yeah, and you wouldn't th- you wouldn't necessarily think to look at him either. He's he's kind of you know he looks he looks like a real pro up there. But yeah, there yeah. is something about Soul Train, isn't there? When you see that and it does. It does illustrate the difference between um, between us and us in America in terms of kind of just the commitment to production yeah. and the ease with which you know that the the just the lack of awkwardness really about like yeah. here's a guy who, you know we're going to put someone on a stage we're going to have some people dancing we're going to move the camera around in this very this very leisurely way that the camera moves and mm. just kind of takes in the scene and yeah. uh, it's just it, it on the face of it it's not that different to Top of the Pops but there's just this kind of qualitative. Um, difference that you know they they might as well be on different planets.
2: Yeah, and it's not even all oh, black Americans are, are better at dancing than white British people because there's some you know there's some white mm. lads in that Soul Train audience as well, and they're you know
3: yeah yeah yeah
4: they're a lot better than our lot. <laughs> I think the great thing about it is that the audience of Soul Train, they understand that they're a key part of the show and that yeah. they're kind of the stars. But, I mean, you know, Top of the Pops audiences at a certain point, perhaps in the early 80s, got a bit kind of dealy-boppery. You know, you get these kind of annoying, wacky extroverts that kind of crop up on the show. But there's none of that. You know, they're just they're just being stars. You know, it's, it's qualitative, as Sarah said. Yeah. Um, you know, they understand that, you know, they've got a vital role in the show and they're doing it.
3: But then, yeah, but they're not there. There isn't the kind of the mugging or the trying to break out of it. Exactly. No. Yeah, um, exactly. No, no, that. Trying to get attention. It's like they understand that they've got. And that's the thing is like you, you, that people kind of don't understand. If you have a minor role and you accept that, you're actually more likely to be noticed than if you, um, you know, sort of try to to sort of push the boundaries of that. Build up your part, yeah. Mm yeah yeah yeah. So, I mean before we
2: get into the song, we've got we've got to mention the introduction that uh that Diddy gives off because we finally see what's on his jumper. It's been fucking bothering me all episode. He's got summer on <laughs> yeah, that jumper yeah, yeah. and I, I I I had no idea what it was. Sarah, you 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 spotted it immediately, didn't you?
3: Yeah, um I was puzzling over this myself. I thought there's a there's a very uh a very jolly sort of cherry red jumper that he has on. It looks like you know, like the knitting machines you used to get, like Brother knitting machines. Yes. That were, yeah. It looks like it's been made. Well, I, I knowing nothing about knitting, but it has that kind of slightly, uh, kind of that slightly odd look where it's not like hand knitted, but it's, it's yeah. got. So you can't quite tell what it is. It's this almost sort of eight bit kind of pixelated thing, and it's like yes, well, there's a it's
2: white. It's no isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah. And so there's a white bit and a black bit, but you couldn't quite see. The camera wouldn't quite look. And I thought, oh, it's a face. You know, and I thought it was like a Victorian miniature, either that or, or kind <laughs> of his, his his sweater is actually haunted. I was like, yeah. you know, he's being, there's the kind of this, the spirit of, uh, the restless spirit of you know Mrs. Elsie Botherington is is kind of is clinging <laughs> clinging to his chest and somehow telling him telling him what to say about about ladies
2: like know? the Kame logo or something. Yeah,
3: it was. It looked like that, and then I realised it, it's quite boring, really. But I realised by this point that actually it's um, it is a lady, but it's <laughs> all the all the ladies. It's a lady with a parasol. It's a kind of art deco. I think it's a sort of art deco sort of Rennie Macintosh kind of. Kind of right. image. I don't know why, though. I mean, well, I suppose why No, I've why, got no idea not? either. But it's not It's not very... It looks
2: like a, a an unwanted Christmas present that he's got to wear. Yeah. Like his mum's had a go at him and said, if you don't wear Auntie Mae's jumper on top of the pop, she'll never speak to you, you know, again. She
3: won't see another Christmas, you know. what? You, you know.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she'll cut you out of her will. Uh, ah, David.
3: Yeah, so maybe, you know, but it, it is just like that. That's a quite a peculiar garment. It's not... Um, mm. You know, it, it's just a slightly odd thing to, to have on a... on a, It's too small. Like, if you're going to do that, you have to kind of go, yeah. go, go properly go dramatic big or go with home, it. Go home, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a lady sort of with a... It's probably a... Yeah, it's a parasol. Um, which I have to say, um, I've discovered in recent weeks, um, the uh, I don't understand why the parasol has not caught on in the same way that the umbrella has. Um, which is... Yeah. Yeah, because it's just an umbrella for when it's really hot. And of course, we're not used to the heat and it's it's really no. good, carry around a shade and, it's, and and it is also chic, so you know Anyway. Yes. so for some reason so maybe he's maybe that's a, a message that you know subliminally it's like, I want the ladies yeah. to 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 not suffer from heat exhaustion or sunburn and uh yes, so, from
2: this from this heatwave, we're going to have
3: yeah c- yes. consider yeah, yeah. consider the parasol, yeah, see he knew.
4: He knew. I suspect that it's worn out absolute cluelessness myself. but um, that yeah. Might have, yeah, yeah, you're probably yeah. right. Fair yeah. enough. Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah. the song. I, I, I was just going to say, just before that, it, was just, it may not be relevant to the, the, this particular track, but just the, the, the two women, I mean, it happens twice, isn't it? There's the, the two women sort of flanking him, but he can't do that horrible thing of, like putting his arms around or linking arms with them. So it's yeah. very strange the way that they kind of flank him at either side. they're like a couple of members, female members of the... Um, Stasi, who are about to kind of, you know, after the intro is done, are going to escort him off for uh, indefinite detention or something. Yeah. It's a very yeah. strange.
2: Maybe they've got an A board up at the front of the stage saying "Have your photo taken with the Diddy," twenty mm. <laughs> p or something. Yeah, yeah. But the
4: song—it's it's, it's lovely. It's, effort, it's, it's effortless. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's just the It's 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 the grain of his voice, and there's also what's kind of lovely is that there's a slight. Added sort of patina, than added sense of grain, just from the sort of because it's forty over forty years ago. Yes, um, and yeah, and and, and 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 you know that alone, I think, for me is the sort of pleasure of the song.
2: I mean, it's to me, it's not a very memorable song at all, but mm, it's yeah. it's sung nicely enough, and it's one of yeah. those. I mean, we're not in the disco era, but it's one of those smooth disco songs Mm -mm. that just slipped in and slipped out of the charts and then just made one appearance on top of the pops that was never heard of again. It's
3: that sound, though, Mm. that as soon as you hear that, you know things are going to be okay, isn't it? It's like there's that kind of sweetness and melancholy to it um, that just makes you go, you know, just makes you go, yeah.
2: So the following week, Walk Away From Love jumped seven places to number 19 and would get as high as number 10. The follow-up, Heavy Love failed to chart here and he never bothered the UK charts again. However, he and former Temptations bandmate Eddie Kendricks linked up with Daryl Hall and John Oates to open the refurbished Harlem Apollo in 1985, which led to the four of them doing a Temptations medley at Live Aid. But the partnership split up later that year when Daryl Hall kicked off about Ruffin's cocaine habit. After a failed attempt to reunite the Temptations in the late 80s, David Ruffin died in 1991 at the age of 50 after a cocaine overdose. Oh, what a waste. <laughs>
1: This week that was David Ruffin. I walk away from love. If you come from Bradford in Yorkshire, good old Bradford. These are your local stars, national stars, international stars. The sound of Smokey. Something's been making me blue. Oh, love
5: has me. Sometimes
1: it's
2: me. This time it's me. High. Did it on his own again pins the blame squarely on Bradford for the next act, Smokey and Something's Been Making Me Blue. We've already covered Smokey and chart music number 23, and this, their fourth single, is the follow-up to Don't Play That Rock and Roll at Me, which got to number eight <laughs> in October of 1975. And it's kind of thing Hilda Ogden would say stan or something if, he'd, uh, if Eddie Yates had brought some Shawaddy Waddy albums back off the round.
5: <laughs> like
2: all their other singles, it's been written by Nicky Chin and Mike Chapman, and it's the lead-off single from their forthcoming LP, Midnight Cafe. Like the last Smokey single we picked at, something's been making me blue. Is not in the chart yet, but they're being waved straight through into top of the pops. Obviously, someone's giving them a bit of a rub here, aren't they? Ugh. And why? <laughs> I don't. I, I, hmm. can't, I can't explain it. Um, the
3: thing is that his. I think. He's. It's because his voice is, is got. It's almost a little bit Rod Stewart, almost a little bit Joe Cocker. Yes. But it just doesn't. And and he's obviously kind of been told that. And it's like oh he he's, yeah. he's sort of leaning right into it. But it just doesn't quite sit right in the ear, no. does it? It's like I don't know. There's an unpleasant texture to it. It's kind of like mildewed Velcro somehow. There's like a sort of scratchy scratchy kind of. Yeah, I don't know because I like a I like a sort of fulsome you know throaty. Throaty voice, but it's never. Well, also, it doesn't. You know, there's 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 kind of times when he when he does that, and then he goes into this sort of wheedle in between times, and it's just it's yeah, it, it's not nice. And I don't think they've got any special pop pop chops either. So yeah, no, uh,
4: David. No, I mean it's just awful. I mean, From your neck of the woods, absolutely. I mean, and I hated it at the time. You know, the West Riding, West Yorkshire in in, in the nineteen seventies. I just could not wait to. Get out of the place. <laughs> and something about Smokey sort of epitomizes the sort of misalignment of like West Yorkshire in, in, in the 70s at that time. I mean, yeah, it's so important about this singing. You know, the idea is like a throat full of phlegm <laughs>
5: denotes you know,
4: grit and honesty, you know, and it's just clearly a fucking throat, you. Yeah. Good chitter. album, Mark. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just something about them. It's just they just bring me down. Every chord change just takes you down this kind of cobbled street of churlish tedium. I mean, mm. and it's just the sort of <laughs> pit where pony. kids eat
2: cheap beef burgers so they can afford Leeds United tracksuits.
4: Absolutely, you know, this is it. It's the sort of the pit pony Billy Bremner sort of nm. <laughs> Violent misery of like Westron, it just sort of <laughs> exudes that somehow, you know. Despite there's something kind of innocuous about them, you know. At the same time, there's a sort of ockiousness, uh, <laughs> just, just the kind of they're a bit ocky, yeah, or a well, ocky. Yeah. See
3: that that's not a that's not a Northern thing, but it, it does sound because obviously it's a um, you know the, it'd be icky, I suppose, mm. or <laughs> ek- no, ek- oh ek Oh, thump Yeah, but you know they're a bit okay. Mm. I can hear it now; they're a bit okay. Mm. But I mean, obviously, yeah. I didn't grow up in West Yorkshire in the seventies. I grew up in West Yorkshire in the eighties, which I don't think was substantially no. better no. in a lot of no. ways. No, fair. Um, and yeah, I totally it, it doesn't. Um... Yeah, sorry to no. any
2: of the pop crazy youngsters listening in Yorkshire. Mm. I like I'd... you. <laughs> Even though you hate
4: me because I'm from Scabtown, I love I, I love going back to Yorkshire now. I love going back to Yorkshire. It's great now. Um, it, it was you know it's it's, yeah. it's a different kind of place, different vibe. But
3: yeah, no, we're talking about a very specific time yeah. and a very specific place. I think, um, but oh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, no, yeah, you sl- got out of
2: that world, didn't you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's true. Look, we've got come on, we're, we've got enough culture wars on enough fronts. Let's let's not. Um mm. but god oh god listen to my ex listen to my voice though like as soon as we start talking about it i just like my voice does a different yeah. thing and i have to like wrestle it back <laughs> back south <laughs> 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 um but no bradford um bradford should not be so proud of smoky bradford has more to recommend it than Smokey, I think, because mm. he he makes much of going Bradford local star, you know, local stars, local heroes, international. But it's like stop, stop now, did he stop it?
2: Yeah, we're not, we're not. Yeah, I hate it when they do that because the implication is, oh, you know, this band they they actually come from somewhere like Bradford, and it sounds like they're, they're, they're afflicted. It's like I, I don't know if it's just me, but every time someone from someone famous from Nottingham's mentioned, they always say that they're from Nottingham, like and Dean... You know, it was always Nottingham's Jane Torville and Christopher Dean, as if coming from Nottingham was such a hideous affliction <laughs> that they struggled to overcome.
3: No, but you don't. It's like I was saying. And I think
2: this is what he's doing here.
3: It's like I was saying before about patriotism, though. It's the same with if if you are, uh, it's it's quite suspicious when you identify uh, really closely with with where you're from. In that way, it doesn't it doesn't often lead to lead to anything good it, it doesn't usually make for for good art I mean it depends sometimes you can be very distinctively of a place and that will there's this kind of heady thing where you really communicate the essence yeah. of, of a of a of a place to people who might not yeah. know it or to people who do know it and but there's a way of it's like the professional Yorkshireman thing though isn't it it's like Smokey kind of doing mm. doing that a bit and it's that you know that assumption that like well because we're from this place that means we're we're genuine and we're gritty, and we've got this going for us and that going for us. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Why don't you?
2: Or the, why don't you look, They sing the mind, don't they? Ah,
3: <laughs> yeah, that thing. You know, the, the, I'll say it now. I'll say this for them: they do sing the mind in in quite a, in quite an unpleasant way. <laughs> We <laughs> I mean, none of us like Smokey. I would be interested to hear um, a robust defence of Smokey yeah. um, that I could that I could then knock down. But uh, I, yeah,
2: I mean, we're seeing a lot of the kids here, aren't there? And they're it's extremely school disco. They're dancing to an undanceable song. Mm. Yeah,
3: mm. it's quite a nothing song, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until like the early eighties when it was at, the audience were actually allowed to just stand there and listen to the music. I mean, you you see it in. Um, in, the, in some of the really slow songs you know like Lydia by Dean Friedman and all that kind of stuff but anything that's got the slightest bit of a beat to it they, I, I don't know if they're being forced to or it, it's just a, a Pavlovian reaction but there's a lot of school disco swaying going on
3: I don't mind a little bit of a school disco sway it is quite it is an awkward situation as we've you know and, and mm. I, I'm sure uh, as, as I've probably said before I think there'll be kids in that audience who have you know they're so excited to be there and then as soon as they are there it's like oh my god I'm actually going to be on telly. I'm not sure I like it mm. also it, it's quite warm all these people are a bit weird the music's not loud enough or you know and and I've got to do something so it it's you know i don't it's not i don't i don't envy them really
2: the following week something's been making me blue entered the chart at number forty three entered the top 40 at number thirty the next week and got as high as number seventeen. The follow-up, Wild Wild Angels, failed to chart, but they roared back in October when I'll Meet You at Midnight got to number 11 in October of this year.
1: of the week of mine on Radio 1, so I got my fingers crossed it's going to be a hit. Song about a man with frostbite called Something's Been Making Me Blue. Here's R.J. Stone, currently standing at number 7 in the top 30, and a beautiful song called We Do It. Just when I think I'm getting tired of you again You turn right back and give her that special smile again Diddy
2: drops another shit joke and introduces a beautiful song called We Do It by R and J Stone. Born in Norwich in 1946, Russell Stone got his start in the music business at the age of 18 when he became a chorus boy with the black and white minstrels before starting as a session singer and briefly joining the original incarnation of the Brotherhood of Man. After working with Henry Mancini and Giorgio Moroder and working as a backing singer with Marvin Gaye, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder, he landed a job as a backing singer for the world tour of the James Last Orchestra where he met Joanne Williams, an American singer who had recently moved to London and they later got married. After being introduced to his new wife's record collection and taking particular interest in the work of Ashford and Simpson, Stone wrote and demoed a string of songs. After they were signed to RCA, they put out this single, their debut, and it's up this week from number 17 to number seven. It's quite a dramatic uh, beginning of a song, isn't it? For top of the pops in this era. <laughs> Russell's kind of standing there in glasses, which can only be described as Deirdre for men. And he's standing alone as if he's been as if he's waiting outside the carvery at the Crossroads Motel for his date who, who, who may not be coming and then at the end of the first verse she ghosts in from the back of the stage with the longest microphone lead ever
3: yeah she she sort of slinks out of the shadows yes. in this amazing sort of plunging long white diaphanous dress yes and you know looking amazing and you know looking and, and a very welcome kind of dramatic sight as well cuz he yeah he's he's um he's he doesn't he doesn't look like a pop star does he which is no. which which is fine not everybody mm. does but she looks much more like a...
4: he just looks like he's walked out of the stage of the comedians and onto top of the pops he yeah, looks to me like Carlos the jackal in a very unconvincing disguise actually um, <laughs> um absolutely yes he does not really look um in her in her league to be honest um but i mean absolutely. the, no. the, the racial dynamic racial, racial, racial mix there is is um you know and it's Yes, a mixed race you know, couple I mean, singing you know, the pops. Sh- sure that maybe they've been kind of a sort of you know paired together just to sort of the purpose of singing the song or whatever. But no, yeah, they, they were actually a couple, and um, you know, I mean, that aspect of things is pretty cool. It's um, definitely there's
3: there's kind of some interesting things going on here in terms of the uh, the kind of the staging of it and and a lot of things about it. A very sort of night at the Palladium. It's a very sort of traditional entertainment yes. thing, isn't it? He's there in sort of a tux and whatnot. And, and the way that they sort of sing to each other, it, it's almost, even at this point, it's almost a bit of a throwback, isn't mm. it? It's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah. And the, the, the song itself is, um, I'd forgotten all about this song actually. And then I, I kind of, and then I realized what it was and went, Oh oh God, it, it's, it goes on and on and it's, it, it's, quite annoying. And I was hoping actually, cause she's got mm. her voice is uh, it's a bit Diana Ross, but you know, obviously, as soon as you think of Diana Ross, then it, it's you know, you're going to come up short by comparison. Um, it's that quite sort of yeah, quite quite a delicate voice, you know? Um, but it it doesn't the 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 song. I hate to use this phrase again, but it's a bit it's a bit of a nothing song, isn't it? I don't know.
2: I mean, the thing is, yeah, we we have to point out that this is a mixed race couple. He's white, she's black. Mm. Uh, not the kind of thing you, you see on top of the pops no, in 1976. No. Um, but what would it be like if it was the other way around? If he was black and she was white, would 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 that be more of a problem? I think
4: yeah, racists would have more of a problem with that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Racists I mean, and sexists, in fact. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. <laughs> all the all the guys, all the, all those guys <laughs> that that we that we know and love it
2: would have been a month ago. It was, it was the Christmas episode of uh, of Rising Damp, I believe. Rigsbear. Was, uh, you know, was, was quite up for, uh, one of Philip's friends, uh, and he assumed that she was a gift to him. Oh my Do you God. Remember that episode? Okay, yeah, yeah. no. Philip said, Oh, I've, I've got something for you from, uh, from Africa. And, uh, God. one of his friends turns up, a, a a black woman, and, uh, Rigsby assumes that that's his Ooh. gift. Oh no. Oh. You know, he bolts in and sees Philip and says, Oh, thank you, thank you very much. I can't believe you've done this for me. He says, Oh, oh, don't worry. I've got another 11 of them, my poor <laughs> <friend."> <laughs> So, yeah, so, you know, it was totally acceptable. You could still be racist and still lust after black women. So this is all right. And we we are two years away from uh, the sitcom Mixed Blessings, remember? So, Mm. you know, this is still
4: quite go-ahead. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And for some strange reason, I have this image of, like... A version of Abigail's party in which these two are two extra guests, and <laughs> that somehow this <laughs> might work. But the fact that they, they go on there and, and there be no, you know, that race actually would, wouldn't be kind of a big dominating factor, you know, I don't know, why, I don't know why I thought that. Maybe because there is something above and beyond the kind of go aheadness, as you say, there is something rather quaintly 70s about them, even by 1976. You know, there's resonances of Matthias Rose and Formica and avocado vinaigrette and orange juice as a starter <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the James Lastiness of it. You know that kind of kitsch element, that seventies kitsch element that's sort of really, really, really shining through. The other quite go ahead aspect is is the the fact that they do it, mm. and you know, even at
2: my age, even at seven, I I kind of twigged onto what they were going on about. Mm. I remember this being discussed on the playground. If you heard that song called "They Do It," <laughs> and they sing it, and they're they're doing it all the time,
3: all all the time, <laughs> every night, every day, in every possible way, daily and nightly, mm. and ever so rightly. Um, add infinitum. for yes. um, but that's the thing. It's a yes. very sexless song. That's the thing. It's yes. there's an odd, uh, there's an extreme contrast there. I feel between what they're singing about and how they're singing about it. Definitely, it's 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 yeah. really not sexy at all. I don't know if it's but, well. I guess it's not supposed to yeah. be, but it, it's it, it's it started to kind of start to get on my nerves after a while because it, it, it's just that kind of that it just doesn't add up. You know, could be singing about stamp
4: yeah. collecting, really, couldn't they? Or-
2: yeah, well, it could work as an advert for um, for B and Q or something like that.
3: Well, what are they talking about? Well, it could be, you know, this is an indefinite thing. It could be anything.
2: We know though, don't we? It. It. The it. <laughs> are you getting
3: enough of it?
2: Oh and the moon's back you might notice but this time it's silver.
3: Yeah, I like it. I like a, a nice celestial nice celestial body in there, isn't it? And for top of the pops in
2: the in the mid 70s there's it, it, quite an expansive stage, isn't there? Mm. I don't know how they've done that. They've had to do do it on the floor or something.
3: <laughs> they've do, they've sort of shunted some things about and maybe got rid of a few of the kids, you know, told told a few of the kids to go outside and have a fag, you know.
2: Yeah, there's one or two still there, just standing around, not really knowing what to do. Bearing
3: bearing witness to to the doing the doing of the it. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Anything else to say about this?
3: Well, basically, basically the the point of this from from this perspective is it doesn't. It, it's you know it, it's not really important what the the song is like. The point that it's a the fact that it's a couple, uh, one of whom is black and the other is white, um, on top of the pops like this um, is has got to be has got to be a good thing. And the the fact that yes, it's there's not a lot of ceremony about it. It's not been, and uh, you know, Diddy no. hasn't kind of said anything awkward about it. Nobody feels awkward.
2: <laughs> oh no, God, I can't imagine DLT oh, in oh, like this. God, oh God.
3: Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's you know, and that's that's how things move on. Is when you present something as normal, and you don't. Nobody makes a. Yes. Nobody makes a big fucking deal of it.
2: So the following week, we do it. Stayed at number seven, but the week after that, it nipped up to number five. Its highest position. The follow-up, One Chance, failed to make the charts, as did their next three singles. In 1979, Joanne Stone died from a brain tumour and her husband took to alcohol but still stayed active, backing the likes of Cliff Richard, Adamant and Twisted Sister. In 1983, he was offered a solo deal with Warner Brothers in Los Angeles, but he arrived at the airport drunk and bolted from the record company limo on his way to the offices. In 1992, he finally sought out for his alcoholism, cleaned up, retrained as a transpersonal psychotherapist, and is still practicing today.
1: I'm Joe Stan and we do it. We do it every week. I do it tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock on Radio 1. We'll see you next week and we'll leave you with the number one sound. See you for next week's Top of the Pops. Is Goodbye. This the real life? Is this just
5: fantasy
1: caught in a landslide?
5: Oh, no.
2: Diddy goes on about doing it some more and signs off without even bothering to tell us what the number one single is. But he doesn't have to because it's the winter of 1975-76 so it could only be Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Formed in London in 1970, Queen of fucking Queen. This single... <laughs> The follow up to Now I'm Here which got to number 11 in February of 1975 has its origins in a tune written by Freddie Mercury in the late 60s called The Cowboy Song when he, Roger Taylor and Brian May were still in the band Smile. It was recorded in five separate studios in the autumn of 1975 and it took three weeks and over 180 overdubs to record, with all members bar John Deacon spending a reputed 10-12 to 12 hours recording the vocal parts. When the band told EMI they wanted to put it out as a lead-off single from their forthcoming LP, and Night at the Opera, they were told that at 5 minutes and 55 seconds, it was too long, would never be played on radio, and would never be a hit. Mercury responded by slipping a reel-to-reel copy to his mate Kenny Everett on the condition that he wouldn't play it on his capital radio show, Nudge Nudge Wink Wink. Everett responded by playing different segments of it over the course of a week and then played the full version 14 times in two days, which forced the label's hand when pop crazed Londoners started asking for it at record shops. Meanwhile, their plugger Eric Hall passed a preview copy to Diddy David Hamilton saying, monster, monster, this could be a hit. It was finally released on the last day of October in 1975 and entered the charts two weeks later, despite a review by Alan Jones of Melody Maker which described the song as a superficially impressive pastiche of incongruous musical styles which contrived to approximate the demented fury of the Balham Amateur Operatic Society performing The Pirates of Penzance. A fortnight later, it reached number one, where it's been for nine weeks. And like every other week, we're being treated to the video, which was recorded in Elstree Studios at a cost of £4,500, which means we never got the chance to see pants people dancing to it. Oh, man, can you imagine? So anyway, talking about this song, it's like doing a book review on the Bible, isn't it? well I mean it's it, it, it's always been here particularly for you Sarah can you Sarah can you remember a time when this song came into your life
3: no it, it is one of those things like yeah it, it's um I was thinking about this actually and, and it's like no it's just always been there it is just something that you grow up knowing is is a is an element in in the world you know and uh yeah it's yeah I I love it I've got to admit I was i how many times have I seen it and heard it, and you know, um, and I was just sitting there with a with a with a big grin on my face, watching the video and just going, "What?" Well, it just delight <laughs> it it delights me every time I see it or hear it or think about it. It's I'm just I'm so happy to be alive at a time that Bohemian Rhapsody exists, and not just because it annoys people, because that's not you know I don't want anybody to think that that's how I live my life True. is just being a contrarian prick who is like, hmm, who doesn't, I'm going to I'm gonna like a thing that everyone, you know, that people hate. I really do genuinely adore it.
4: David, can you remember the first time you heard it? Oh, yes, yes, I can, yeah, yeah. My colleague Andrew Muller, or 1st colleague Andrew Muller, described this as gale force rubbish. And um, it <laughs> kind of has a point. I mean, it is, you know, it is obviously, a, and, and, you know, as Alan Jones in his review just pointed out, it is actually a sort of piece of sort of, um, you know, it has the sort of contours and the aspirations of sort of I don't know, classical music or whatever, but none of the sense. Um mm. I having said that, look, at the time I, I absolutely loved it. Uh I was, you know, uh it, 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 I was a, you know, I was a pumped up little boy and it um Um, I thought it was, you know, and I thought it was absolutely tremendous, and I would have not minded seeing week after week, um, especially on a slightly slightly workaday edition like this. And I can sense that probably a lot of things were kind of cut down just to make room for the whole thing. And I would have, yeah, I just think you can't. You can't cut this short. Oh, definitely, yeah, because it is. After nine weeks, we still get the whole thing. You can't cut this down mid-scaramouche, can you? You can't do that. You got to, It's got no, to be all the way through to the final gong. I mean, there's no other way of doing it. It's actually, you know, and it's quite clever in that yeah. respect. There's no fade out. It's It's got to be performed in full, and I wouldn't have minded that at all. I mean, it's interesting looking at a game now and just trying to figure out how I would have you know, I would have been about, uh, let us think, 13, you know, when I first heard of this. And the things that would have impressed me would have been sort of slightly neo glammy type things. Actually, they're just the slightly yeah. alien, androgynous look of Freddie Mercury, um, which would have been, you know, mm. very sort of intriguing, disquieting. Also, um, I had no idea about him being gay or anything like that. Um, you yeah. know, I always have this sort of thing of like all these Queen fans in Doncaster, you know, like. You're fucking saying Freddie Mercury is gay, right? like <laughs> <laughs> fucking free, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> He's just fucking killed a man. Exactly. <laughs> <You're> fucking <laughs> fucking kill a man, now would it? It's a fucking yeah. total sense. Um, and well, but also John Taylor actually, he's in, especially when they're kind of underlit, you know, in that kind of sequence, he he actually looks very sort of sinister as mm. well, um, you know, and things like that would have definitely sort of piqued me, you know. But um, and then obviously right at the end, the catharsis of like you know when they do the kind of you know the full sort of onstage thing at the end, you know, it's like. You know, Right now, finally, they got to the point. Um... I mean, the
2: first time I would have heard it would have been on Top of the Pops and you just got smacked in the face by the song and the visuals as well because this, you know, everybody says that this is the patient zero of the rock video as we know it nowadays. <laughs> and, you know, they say it was because they didn't want it danced to by the likes of Pan's people and they obviously didn't or felt they couldn't mime to it on things like top of the pops
3: yeah it's quite an interesting one in that way isn't it, it it's uh it's it's got all these kind of fail safes like that mm. built built into it mm. and uh you know if you look at it now it, it's not the best example of it. you know considering what what amazing things have been done yeah. with with the format it's not it's it's not the best pop video but yeah it's it's kind of yeah i don't i, I don't think that it's um it doesn't delight me half as much as the song does but of course, it, it's you know, it, mm. it's great. It's appropriate. And there's the kind of live, you know, the live footage and Freddie is there resplendent. And mm. well, they all are actually, but um, in their kind of tight, tight white satin, although I think only Freddie is, is fully yeah. resplendent. I think um, the others are just yeah. kind of wearing it, you know, um, but yeah. And the, the whole, uh, the, the kind of amazing effects where their faces all kind of, um, but you know, there's suddenly an infinite number of their faces along with the infinite number of, of, of the, yeah, that was the, a the, like, head for Um time. Mm. Yeah, it's like oh look how, yeah. look, how many of them there are. Oh, it's, it's, how have you done? It's, it? it's a great point um, that it
4: has to be shown in full, and also has to be shown with this video. And there's no other way yeah. of doing it. And it kind of felt like a sort of pop, a missive from the gods. Basically, they do seem kind of godlike, you know, in, in, you know as if they sort of, you know, um, sort of broadcasting from an, this from another dimension. You know, really um, had that feel about it. You know, it's, it's... The
3: thing is with this, just I, I was thinking, like, imagine coming up with this, like what kind of glorious sort of anarchic imagination to go right? And so now we're going to do a, yeah. now the opera bit comes in, and it's like that's that's so wonderful if you think about that. And I know that we're all kind of we're all very accustomed to this now, and and many of us just find it really really irritating, especially because it, it is always played in full. Yeah. There's no getting away from it, um, you know. And so I totally understand why it irks people. But also, if you just take a step back from it and go. Just what kind of a what kind of brain comes up with this and realizes it yeah. mm. in this way? As so wonderful. I mean, Freddie Mercury, you know, was a, a true artist and a, a, a true hedonist and, and a, a true darling and lots of other things. And um, you can't really fault him on yeah. you can't fault him on his imagination. You can't fault him on his on his voice, obviously, which was which was really staggering. But um, just just the commit the commitment that it took to do this and and to just go. That's a thing that could, that could be done. And, you know, how many millions of people just would have stopped short of that and gone, actually, I think this is yeah. a bit... This is a bit much. It's like, no, this is lots yeah. too much and I love
4: it. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, imagine having a band meeting and afterwards scratching the chins a bit think, do you think it matters? It's complete nonsense.
3: No. <laughs> David, it doesn't really matter. Oh,
4: it doesn't, oh. isn't it? Right, not to me. Yeah. But that's,
3: that's the other thing as well, is that it's very glorious and, and, and kind of daft and flailing and all over the shop. But it, I also still find it quite moving because I remember hearing it as a kid and, and you pick up that, you know, the, the sort of the notes of, of angst and stuff. Mm and i know that it's all it's basically catched in in a in a very uh, it's all it's all a very kind of grand silly um endeavor mm. but um i still you know it still gets me every time the kind of the, the very mournful piano towards the end and mm. you know it's like ah oh, fucking hell um i will actually you know depending on what kind of a day it catches me on I, it is like oh oh he's calling out for his mother oh you know yeah. Um, but then, of course, but then you get like, how many records can you say that that have so many moods crammed into them? Yeah, you know, and how many um, and, and so and many it, meanings as well? But the midsection well. is such a riot. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean because people, have, I don't people if- have picked the lyrics to this to death, and the and the and the two main theories are, you know, the it's something to do. It, it it's it's partly to do with him trying to reveal his his origins as a Parsi Indian with the Bismillah or all that kind of stuff. Creeping Sharia hashtag. Uh, But the other one of course is that um, another theory that's been trotted out is that this the year it was written 1975 was also the year that he revealed to his girlfriend that he was having a bit of man love on the side and uh, the confessional nature of the song has something to do with that but you know. It's just about a bloke that's killed someone and is going to hell for it
3: well it's about all it's about all of these things i and possibly not you know it's it's uh, it contains multitudes yeah. um the other thing mm. is of course is that the uh that it's now kind of inextricably linked with uh, um kind of modern cinematic history as well because of yeah. Wayne's world and to this it, there is a Pavlovian thing that happens. I have to bob my head in the mi- when it, because it's such a perfect, mm. um, a bit that they do in Wayne's one. It's like, that's what you do to that bit.
4: From a critical point of view, it's indestructible. I mean, yeah. it'll never be brought down, you know, whatever people say about it, you know, whoever invented the language, it's never going to be a victim of some sort of revisionism. It's never going to be laid low. No. It's whatever you think of it, it is indestructible, and it's always going to be up. The by. only other
2: time I've ever seen somebody sing it live, my dad's local, the Charlie uh Charles II, they used to have a pub singer in the uh in the late eighties uh on every Monday night and bingo and everything and me and my mates used to go for the laugh and everything and one bloke came up and he got his tapes and, and everything doing that, and he went into Bohemian Rhapsody and you know it's quite a flamboyant song and it's not the kind of uh it's not the kind of song you usually sing in a in a on a council estate pub in the late eighties but everyone in the pub, no matter how old they were or who they were, just went fucking mental. And he nailed it. He nailed it. And there's just there's, you just you just see all your dad's mates just putting their knee up on the stage, fucking doing some air guitar like, like Brian May. And I'm looking along and my dad's nodding along and everything. And he turned around to me and he said, oh, Freddie Mercury's fucking great, isn't he? And I said, dad, you know, don't you? Because my dad was not the... Uh, he was not, he was not the most tolerant of of men, and he said, "What? I don't I don't give mm. a fuck. He's a ginger beer. He's fucking great. Who gives a fuck? It's like, oh, nice one, Dad."
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's how you that that's kind of how you how you get people on board, isn't it? My stepdad was a bit like that. My stepdad just kind of didn't yeah. really didn't quite uh, put it together. I think he sort of knew, but but kind of didn't really get his head Mm. around it but then it's like you sit with it for long enough and you go actually they're they're just they're just like everybody else and and you know um thing
2: was dad who's your favorite artist dad little fucking richard (laughs) (laughs) the following week bohemian rhapsody dropped to number three toppled from the summit by mamma mia by abba but it had already sold a million copies by then and when it was re-released in December 1991 in the wake of Freddie Mercury's death as part of a double A side with Those Were the Days of Our Lives it became the only single to become the Christmas number one twice and eventually sold over two and a half million copies in the UK overall the third biggest selling single of all time in the UK after Candle in the Wind 97 and Do They Know It's Christmas Over its nine-week run, it kept Trail of the Lonesome Pine by Laurel and Arde, I Believe in Father Christmas by Greg Lake, Trail of the Lonesome Pine again, and Glass of Champagne off number one. So, what's on television afterwards? Well, BBC One follows up with Happy Ever After, the original title of Terry in June. Then When the Boat Comes In, the 9 o'clock news. Then Moira Anderson and Tessie O'Shea in the good old days from the famous Cities Varieties Theatre in Leeds. Andre Previn discusses the waltz in Omnibus. And it rounds off with Tonight, hosted by Sue Lawley. BBC Two is running worldwide, where we're treated to clips from foreign correspondents talking about what a shit-old country England is behind our backs. Then the 1948 film All the King's Men, based on the life of Huey Long, the governor of Louisiana. Then a conversation with Gene Wilder on film night, and they finish off with Newsnight. ITV is running this week the news documentary show with Jonathan Dimblebear, then the last ever episode of the sitcom Love Thy Neighbor. Oh, racism is is dead. Yeah, you ever seen episodes of Love Thy Neighbor, Sarah? I,
3: I don't think so. I've probably just seen clips. No, I don't think I've ever. I yeah. wouldn't like sit and watch an entire episode. I don't no. Think.
2: Not- no, but I mean, by this time, they were mates, weren't they, David? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. And the racial slurs were, you know, terms of
4: endearment, weren't
0: mm-hmm. they?
4: Yeah, yeah. It was, it's strange, actually. Years later, the guy that plays... It's Jack, isn't it? Is it Eddie Smith? I can't remember his name. The actor... Yeah, Jack methods, played, played Eddie, Eddie Booth. Booth, yes, exactly, yeah, I think we better get there. He, he was talking about it, uh, and he was kind of saying, look, you know, and it's time, you know, we had a good time doing it now, but obviously you couldn't broadcast that now, and it was kind of slightly you know, apologetic for something, you know, about racism and people obviously laughing along with that. And it talks to Rudolph Walker, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he yeah. said, No, it's nonsense. It was just just Got mad that you can't have this sort of thing these days. It was great. What's up with it? It's <laughs> very old. There you go.
3: I, I found it really Fun, fascinating so. that I, I um, was uh, flicking, through, uh, flicking through channels. Um, recently and saw that there was a film on, I think, film four or something, which was an old, an old Western. And, um, and it said, you know, in lieu of, you know, in the little, the little description, it didn't say, you know, contains strong language or contains, you know, violence. It said contains racist attitudes. I was like, that's really interesting that there's kind of a, a a content, a
2: content warning on it. That kind of describes every World War Two film Mm. then, doesn't it?
3: (laughs) It's, yeah exactly it's like why isn't this either you don't show the film or you kind of show it or you put that you put that content on you know um, a lot more stuff
4: I've got mm. a, a DVD of the Droopy cartoons the Tex Avery Droopy cartoons and it starts off with an extensive oh. warning about you know containing certain attitudes towards other races that we're not considered, <laughs> that we don't, you know we're not tolerated these days uh, and by golly I mean they're great <laughs> cartoons but by golly yeah practically every 10 seconds there's something <laughs>
3: Well it's like uh, Tom and Jerry isn't it because you you, yeah. know, you can kind of get a special edition of that and I think oh,
4: hated it when they did that. Yeah
3: yeah.
2: Um, when they changed the woman's voice.
3: Oh god. did they?
2: Yeah they they yeah I think it was in the 90s the cartoon network uh ran the Tom and Jerry cartoons and uh yeah the the, the woman was uh, was a bit sassier. Hmm.
3: hmm. Yeah, do you know what the weird thing about Tom and Jerry is? Because I, um, I, I saw it. Um, they were there was a, a projection of it in a pub that I went to recently, and um, and I kind mm. of realised, you know, at the age of you know thirty whatever, that um, like the woman, I, I was never, I didn't know who she was, and I realised like, oh my god, she's not his owner, she's the help, and I'd never, yes. I had never twigged this. Isn't yeah. that weird? Do you know what I mean? It's like because you don't, you don't when you're yeah. a kid, you just kind of go, oh, I don't know. But I, I couldn't. I thought there was something like. There was something odd about it. I wondered why she was always cleaning and I thought she was just very house And It's like, nope, she is the help. Yeah,
2: but she gets all the petticoats, doesn't she? Mm. Usually about 20 of them when she's jumping on a mm-hmm. chair. Yeah. And pulling them up one after the other. Mm. Anyway, they show the Staffordshire potteries in the 19th century drama series Clay Hanger, News at 10, the antique programme Trash or Treasure... And a repeat of the protectors, so me dears, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow?
3: I don't know, I want to say r and j stone, but um um i probably not something I'd bring up in the playground, you know in case um in case it revealed too much about my about my little friend's attitudes. I don't know,
4: <laughs> I think at the time. It's possible that, um, although I think it's rubbish now, that I might have been... I mean, don't even talk about the human Rhapsody, because it's been around for weeks and weeks, so that's not, not really no old news, you know. It's, just... it's practically
2: the national anthem by now, isn't it? <laughs> it There's
4: a phrase, and it was the worst thing you could have in, in, in my school at this kind of age. Is to be, the, the worst crime was to get overexcited about something, and it was called having a cheapie. Mm. So if I'd have gone, hey, did you see Queen on telly last night? And said, would say, oh, fucking hell, I'm having a cheapie. Did you ever have that? Cheapies. It was just the worst no. thing he could have is to have a cheapie, what? to get too excited about something that Radio Reveal to have to to be too boyishly enthusiastic about something. It was like having a cheapie. <laughs> and it was a constant it was an accusation that was constantly <laughs> hurled back and forth in the playground. Wow. Who's having a cheapie. Look at him. Listen <laughs> to Listener who's having a cheapie. Fucking queen in Rhapsody. Yeah,
3: hey, we're in around like we're four in, months. We're in bloody Yorkshire. Don't get so bloody excited.
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I might have I might have been actually quite interested about like, like slick because poor as that song is, it does actually have a strong hint at the future about it, um, just mm. in the superficially in the yes. way that he's kind of dressing and everything like that. He's beginning to sort of, you know, he looks a little bit futuristic actually, is there? Um, it'd be nice, I mean, the, 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 the David Ruffin thing really because of Soul Train, and I think the excitement of like Soul Train, and, and in 1976, America was a lot further away than it is now, you know, it was. Pre-Freddie Laker, it was a very, very remote place indeed. Mm. Um, and anything American like mm. was de- that was, was was dead exciting.
2: In our playground, it would be, oh, did you hear about them two doing it?
3: Mm. <laughs> Were they doing it on top of the pops? Mm. Did they go off and do it? Oh, they doing it right now. I bet now? they're
2: doing it now. Nah. <laughs> I think the most philosophical
3: conversation
2: I ever had in that playground well, a mate of mine just turned around while we were playing football and he says, you don't know what goes off behind closed doors. Prince Charles could be having a wank right now. <laughs> uh, just think about that. Thank you, I am. And I nodded and then I thought, what's a wank?
3: <laughs> this began a lifelong journey. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and what are we buying on Saturday?
4: Do you know what? I'd probably end up buying Bohemian Rhapsody because I probably only just now have saved up enough money to um, get it.
2: Yay. Well and again this is it the conversation we had before about uh two tribes who the fuck is buying it in its ninth week of being number one.
3: Um just late adopters I suppose. Was it
2: just a rush of um record tokens we just spunked on this song?
3: Yeah, um probably yeah because that's the thing is you would you'd buy maybe maybe it was just kind of largess on the part of people who just wanted their friends to have it. It's like, I'm going to buy Bohemian Rhapsody for everyone I know, even the people I hate. Yeah. I'm going to make them listen to yeah. it, you know, just kind of like the, you know, that, that's something that the kind of, um, do you ever think about like the stupid stuff you'd do if you won the lottery? Like, you know, yes. buy a thousand copies of Bohemian Rhapsody and just distribute them. <laughs> that'd be
2: great. Can you imagine though, if there was a twelve-inch version of Bohemian Rhapsody, an extended oh. version?
3: Oh, it needs to happen. Somebody should, somebody should do that and just put yeah. it on YouTube, like Bohemian I'm, Rhapsody I'm for shocked. twenty minutes. <clears throat> ding, ding, Oh, I'm ding, sure ding, someone's ding, done that. Ding, I'm ding, sure ding, someone's ding, done for that for twenty minutes. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And what does this episode tell us about January 1976?
3: Then? Well, we've got a long way to go before "Lady" is an anachronism.
4: Mm. Yeah, it's it's. Um... It's a real downtime, actually. Um, and I think, you know, this is a, it's a pretty listless episode overall that just reveals, you know, there's a sense of, like, listlessness about Britain as a whole, actually. And um, I always say but when punk and yeah. Thatcherism, in a sense, I always say it's both sides of the same coin, you know, that Thatcherism was partly there to kind of dispel mm. the sort of the moribundness, supposedly, of, like, Britain under this kind of leftist social democratic sort of hegemony that had gone back back to the 60s, really, you know. Without counting the Edward Heath era. Um, yeah, um, well, obviously, Thatcher's was horrible and but punk was wonderful, but in a sense, they were both there something similar about, you know, I see them as two sides of the same coin myself. And, um, but it's just that strange sort of time post glam, but pre all of that when it's, and it's all a bit yeah. punch one, everything's up for grabs and there's all this kind of steampunky stuff and daft costumes and, you know, and and match of things, um, um, without it really having any sense of purpose or direction. Sailor, like I said, you know that some some up me really. Mm. Sarah,
2: do you feel you missed out by not being around?
3: Not especially, because you know, out of this came Bohemian Rhapsody, and we we all we all have that forever.
2: You know, you look at this thing and go, "Oh, no wonder punk happened," but you look at it and you just think, "Oh, fucking hell, <laughs> something has to happen." It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and for a lot of people, you know, as we've discussed before, that thing was disco. It's a very down tempo episode, isn't it? There's not a lot. Going on, that's that's mm. fast, mm-hmm. um, and you know, in the case of the uh, of the reggae tune, that's absolutely fine. But with everything else, it is so fucking laid back, and it's winter for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. You can't even can't even blame this mm. on a heat wave. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's interesting. We're still in firmly in nineteen seventy five, mm-hmm. aren't we? The worst mm-hmm. music year ever, apparently.
3: Oh, is that official now?
2: Well, now I've said it. It is All right. But anyway, that argument's for another day. Because that, Pop craze Youngsters, is the end of this episode of Chart Music. All that remains for me to do now is to give you the usual fanny about where you can get hold of us and all that kind of stuff. So our website is www.chart-music.com. You can get us on facebook.com slash chartmusic. And you can reach out to us on Twitter Chart music, TOTP, and also lob us some dollar at patreon.com slash chartmusic. Thank you very much, Sarah B.
3: You're welcome.
2: Tar ever so, David Stubbs. A pleasure as ever. My name's Al Needham and I do it.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Chart music.
2: Women, they go for- Wait, 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 Q. We gonna dedicate this to the pretty young ladies. You know them pretty young ladies
1: that wouldn't give us the play before the album? This is for you. Ladies, wow. Ladies, wow. Ladies, wow. I've got some lovely birds on the show. Wow. Let's also raise a toast to this young lady. Fans people have something nice to do right now. Wow. I wouldn't mind a bit of physical contact like a peck on the cheek from our next lady though. Wow. This is a song about a naughty lady. We're going into Disco Land right now. A lady by the name of Susan Cadigan. Here are some young ladies I've admired many times in my little armchair at home. One lady who must be counting her blessings today is a young lady who's been travelling around the world quite a bit. Wow, is Wow, is Wow, is Wow, naughty lady! <coughs> Excuse me, why there's a. An awful lot I'd like to say about legs and coats. And I can promise you that in the flesh they're even lovelier. Wow. they will probably bleep me out if I do. Plate is wow. Plate is wow. Plate is wow. And she is just as lovely as you think she is, I tell you. What'd you say about my mother, man?